This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 230. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lohan Ramayasha. And today we have another mega news episode for you to recap all the amazing manga news that came out in May. Because there were some big, big stories. We got some big new manga app launches. Not just K-Manga, which we knew about before, but a complete surprise coming from this. We got so many things going on with manga and the industry. We got a ton of like backlog news of events and new series to talk about. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to get caught up on. And yeah, again, a really, really astounding month for news of the anime manga world. Oh my god, yeah. Pulling the curtain back a little bit. We have six pages of news to cover, again, including backlog news that we haven't gotten to cover yet. Um, I don't even know if we'll get to all of that just because of how big some of these stories we have to cover are. So yeah, certain stories are probably going to take up more time than others, but we're going to try to cover as much as we can within a somewhat sensible time frame like we normally do. Um, so wish us luck on that. But before we get into the news, I do just want to promote one thing real quickly that, you know, if you listened to the last episode and you listened all the way to the end, you probably heard me talk about, but I, I just want to kind of promote it at the top in case people didn't listen to the end of the last episode. So over at Patreon, at patreon.com slash mavericks, our latest bonus podcast that we upload normally every month, guaranteed on the $5 tier, is a review that Sakaki and I recorded about the live-action Hollywood adaptation of Saint Seiya known as Knights of the Zodiac. Uh, Sakaki and I both went to go see this in person together on opening night. Sony be damned, we saw it, they couldn't stop us. We had a lot of fun watching the movie, and we had a lot of fun recording about it, again, together in person. Sakaki happened to be visiting me that weekend, so we decided, hey, why don't we go see this movie? And uh, it was pretty fun because, uh, you know, if you've been following the Patreon, you know that I had been diving into Saint Seiya, you know, through the Manga Marks Book Club, you know, with me and Doctor reading through the manga for the first time. We did that a little while ago at this point, so I kind of knew what to expect going in. Sakaki, however, has not really touched Saint Seiya at all, so it was really fun to have him watch the movie basically going in blind and having me attempt to try to explain to him what Saint Seiya is all throughout trying to talk about the movie. So uh, if you want to hear our thoughts on Knights of the Zodiac in particular and hear Sakaki fumble through the dark as he tries to figure out Saint Seiya and what it's all about, uh, you can go listen to that once again, patreon.com slash at the $5 tier. Again, I had a lot of fun recording about that, and I hope if you guys sign up, you'll have fun listening to it. Yes, it is a fun discussion, and it is enjoyable to hear Sakaki's reactions to Saint Seiya's through this movie, and just trying to understand it. And you know, you'll be surprised by how much Sakaki enjoyed it relative to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films. <laughs> so if you want, or have been in a Spider-Man mood with the release of Across the Spider-Verse and <laughs> want to hear more Spider-Man talk, well, listen to our nice <laughs> the Zodiac uh, movie discussion on Patreon. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess for context, I had also been showing Sakaki uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy while we were together. That was a lot of fun. We had watched the first one before we recorded about Knights of the Zodiac, so talk of that does come up here and there. But overall, once again, yeah, it was a really fun podcast to record. I, I always enjoy the chance to get to record my friends in person. That's always fun. I don't get to do that very often, so it was fun to do that for this. But yes, if you want to hear our thoughts on Knights of the Zodiac, once again, patreon.com slash Mavericks, go listen to that. And hey, when you sign up for our Patreon, just in general, it really helps us support us and everything we do here on the show. So go ahead and do that if you so wish. But uh, I think for now, 
We should just get it right into the news because, like we mentioned at the top, we have a lot of news to get through that we're going to try to do our best to get through as much as possible. And first off, we're going to start off with the usual New York Times best-selling graphic books and manga list for the month of May. This will be very quick because there's not a lot of manga on the list this month. Uh, we're going to start at the bottom. At number 13 on the list, we have Spy Family Volume 9. And then all the way up at number eight on the list, we have Kaiju number eight, again, serendipitously, Kaiju number eight, volume six on the list. And then right after that, at number seven on the list, we have One Piece, volume 102. And uh, that's basically about it for the manga on the list. This list is basically just kind of mostly taken over by a lot of Dave Pilkey comics, which, which is to be expected amongst other titles. But yeah. So not a lot of manga on the list, like I just said. I don't think there's anything else we need to discuss here, Lum, unless you have any additional thoughts. I think the one thing between this NYT list and the BookScan list to take away from is that One Piece continues to do really well nowadays. And it's always nice to see new volumes come out towards the top of how manga are selling on the list. That didn't used to happen, but we really have seen this resurgence of popularity for One Piece. And now we're seeing new volumes regularly rank near the top of these sales lists whenever they come out. And I think that's a really interesting to see for a series that has been publishing in the North American market for over 20 years at this point that this may be the most popular One Piece has ever been in print in North America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the last time we saw the manga do anywhere near this well was probably around the time Viz tried to catch up with it back in the day. And in that case, that was the sheer number, the sheer attrition of having so many volumes released at once in such a rapid time. Here, I do think that we are in a cultural space where it's just one piece. It's just been introduced to so many more people. So many people have gathered into it, are enthused. And we are seeing that reflected in the sales that people have caught up and are really eager to purchase the new volumes, which, you know, as we'll see, we didn't usually see one piece at the top of these lists before at the number one spot. But now we're, we're starting to see that as we go on to the book scan list. Yeah, and we might as well just get on to the book scan list for April. And like you just mentioned, One Piece Volume 102 at the top of the list, at number one on the list. It's the only volume of One Piece on the list. But still, yeah, we don't normally see One Piece top this list, I think, ever. I, th I think this is the first time this has happened. It may be. I don't remember the last time. So, yeah, that was out of everything from this list. And I, I think just to get this out of the way, this list in general, I think, is more interesting than the past few we've covered. Because, again, like the sheer number of individual titles on this list is actually pretty interesting. I mean, that was the first thing. But again, One Piece topping this list was not something I expected, even with its growing popularity. I never thought we would get to this point, honestly. Yeah, for sure. It is like a surprise, but a pleasant surprise as a longtime One Piece fan. But indeed, I would agree that this list is interesting for a variety of other reasons because of the variety of titles that are on it. It's more than just the usual couple. And I think that's interesting, too. Mm -hmm, for sure. And yeah, I guess we might as well just get it to the rest of the list. At number two on the list, we have Kaiju number eight, volume six, that being the only volume of Kaiju number eight on the list. A pattern that you will see on this list is that no one title like totally takes up the list like it's pretty even all throughout 
And then I guess we can use that as a transition to get into the next title that does technically have the most volumes on this list, but again, doesn't take up most of the list like it has in the past. With Spy Family, Volume 1, ranking at number 3, with Volume 1, ranking at number 8, and Volume 2, ranking at number 16. And again, that about does it for all the Spy Family on this list. You know, still still popular enough to take up more than one spot on the list. But again, a cool thing about this list is that no one series takes up most of the list, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, just three volumes of Spy Family are on the list. It's a far cry from when nearly every volume released at that point was on this list just a couple months ago. And to say nothing of like when that also happened with Chainsaw Man, no, we, we definitely are seeing much more variety on this list. And I think that's, yeah. I mean, especially as we uh, continue... I mean, if we continue down, we're going to get into some other usual favorites. But as we go down, down, we'll see some uh, nice surprises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, d- definitely stuff that isn't on the list as often, but we'll definitely get to those in a bit. Uh, for now, let's talk about Jujutsu Kaisen, because Volume 9 ranks at number 5 on the list, with Volume 1 ranking at number 20, and that's about it for all the Jujutsu Kaisen. And then uh, next up, we have Demon Slayer, Volume 1, ranking at number 6 on the list, with Volume 2 ranking at number 19, and that's about it for all the Demon Slayer. I think one of the bigger surprises, or, or at least the thing that actually surprised me most about this list, even more so than One Piece topping the list, is that there's only one volume of Chainsaw Man on this list, uh, with Volume 1 ranking at number 7. That's a huge surprise. It's certainly a far cry than just a few months ago when every volume was on this list. Yeah, I am surprised to see that, for sure and i won't have to wonder why that is perhaps it's because i mean chainsaw man isn't the only tatsuki fujimoto title on this list even so it is surprising to only have the first volume rank here when you'd imagine the series is still very very much extremely popular oh for sure i'm and i'm sure it is but like i wonder if that just speaks to like how well everything else after it did I would like to think so. That, that, that's my theory anyway. Um, I guess we might as well mention the other Tatsuki Fujiboto work on this list real quick with Tatsuki Fujiboto before Chainsaw Man 22 to 26, ranking at number 12. So pretty cool to see at least one of Fujimoto's like one-shot collections make it on this list. Yes. I believe we also saw 17 to 21, the previous one, rank on this list when that came out too. I think so too. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Tatsu Fujimoto, of course, is just an extremely popular writer now, thanks to the success of Chainsaw Man. So it's good to see that his fans and the comic buying public at large are flocking to his other work, supporting it and buying it. For sure, for sure. Next up, we have My Dress Up Darling from Square Enix, volume 8, ranking at number 9. Still really cool to see something from Square Enix in particular uh, rank up on this list, especially this title. My Dress Up Darling has definitely cemented itself as Square Enix's most popular title. We've seen it on the list before, and it's always nice to see it on again. Even over a year out of when the anime concluded, Dress Up Darling continues to perform extremely well in sales. And because it is more of a romantic title, a little bit older skewing, that's a nice surprise too, especially... In comparison to these other, you know, Shonen Jump or battle-heavy manga, a series like Dress of Darling and the next title on this list are nice breaths of fresh air to show that the manga-reading public, the people who are, like, really excited about titles and buying them, they're not just buying the action favorites. They're interested in these more slice-of-life rom-coms, too. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, next up on the list, we have Solo Leveling Volume 6, ranking at number 10. Again, good to see Solo Leveling do as well as it has when it comes to manhwa and uh, Korean comics in general. Yeah. 
I think that solo leveling has definitely kind of solidified itself at this point as a regular fixture of these lists and kind of the leading manhwa published in the North American market is definitely going to be interesting to see how the anime will influence its sales in the future. But for now, we know that it's like reliably very popular, especially competitive with like these other battle manga favorites that are very regular toppers to the list. Solo leveling has become another expected fixture whenever a new one comes out. Mm-hmm. You know, this being reliable along with like Toilet Baha Nakakun, which I guess I could say surprisingly is not on this list this month. Yes, there aren't any Yen titles besides even. So I think that it may be the case. Maybe there wasn't a new Toilet Bound volume released this month, but it is a notable omission. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like we see Toilet Baha Nakakun at least on like every other list. Yeah, the first volume at the very least. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Comey Can't Communicate, volume 24 at number 11 on the list. Speaking of reliable titles that rank whatever there's a new volume out, uh, Comey's definitely one of them. Absolutely. And much like My Dress Up Darling, very happy to see a series, not a battle manga, but, you know, a nice slice of life rom-com series be this popular and consistently to 24 volumes in. And yeah, it's always been a pleasure to see how well Comey performs on this list. And now, especially thanks to Comey being simul-published, a hint towards what we'll talk about with the manga app, there should be hopefully even more flock of fans coming to it, eager to read it. And I'm going to be very interested to see how it continues to perform. But also... Comey continues to lead the way when it comes to shocky titles in terms of success in the North American market. So yeah, Comey, cements her place at the top there. Yes, very small hint about what we're going to talk about later in the show, but I do wonder with Viz's new pub offerings and new like app offerings, I wonder if that is going to have an effect on what people buy and therefore what we see on this list moving forward. That is something I'm really wondering about, but I guess time will tell. We'll have to see. Next up, we have The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess, Volume 11, at number 13. I feel like it's been a while since we've seen a Legend of Zelda title on this list. Like, I, I feel like that used to be a bit more common, unless I'm misremembering, honestly. We have seen Akira Himakawa's Legend of Zelda mangas pop up from time to time on these lists. They've never been regular on the list, but we have seen them pop up time and again. And I think it comes in the cycles of Zelda's popularity and just a broader popular culture. Right now, of course, Zelda is, you know, extremely popular. People are all abuzz about Tears of the Kingdom. So, you know, you're in a big Zelda upswing. So I can definitely see that lead people towards, like, purchasing the manga. I think Twilight Princess is an interesting choice out of all of these titles that people are like kind of going towards but uh, yeah i think that in general you know we're seeing like zelda kind of come back in a big way you know in terms of people like talking about it getting into it so people's appetite for zelda are just up right now and i think that's translating to manga sales success too but uh it does make sense that it's still 11th volume as well because that was also the final volume of the twilight princess manga adaptation ah, okay. so that were just released in April, which makes sense, especially with it being the conclusion of the series, why so many people would like be going out and grabbing that one in particular, especially if they've been collecting this series for a while. Uh, next up on the list, we have Blue Lock, Volume 6, ranking at number 14, with Volume 1, ranking at number 18. Again, Blue Lock, definitely Kodansha's probably most popular title right now in the US, or at the very least is the one that like I feel like most people are paying attention to. 
Yeah, I mean, Blue Lock definitely is like the most popular, like current Kodansha title. I mean, that's true, definitely overseas, as we're about to get into, but <laughs> yeah. it also translates here in North America. And that is quite surprising for the North American market because it is soccer manga. But it's also great to see a sports manga, again, be this successful over here, this much enthusiasm about it, that being translated into the sales figures. So, yeah, it's been a pleasant surprise to see Blue Lock continue to do well here. And I am going to see how much longer it's going to continue to score like this. For sure, for sure. Next up, we have Don to Don, Volume 3, ranking at number 15 on the list. Don to Don, we've seen on the list before, but I wouldn't be surprised if we got to a point where maybe at some point we see it on the list a bit more often. Yeah, I think that Don to Don will only continue to grow in popularity, much like we've seen with series like Kaiju Number no. Eight, which kind of debuted or continued to like publish a new volumes that appear in towards the lower end of the list before slowly climbing their way to the top. I think that we'll see that with Don to Don as the series continues forward, and most certainly inevitably when it does get an anime. But yeah, I think just for now, we'll just continue to see the popularity of Don to Don grow. Mm-hmm, for sure. And then last but not least, we have My Hero Academia, Volume 1, ranking at number 17 on the list. And once again, Volume 1 of My Hero Academia is a part of the club of reliable, best-selling Volume 1s, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's an evergreen title. I think we'll see it continue to sell like every month. And even if the heights of MJ's popularity aren't what they once were, it still remains popular. People are still getting into the series. So I'm not surprised to see Volume 1 continue to sell competitively. And of course, we always see new volumes come in. So I think My Hero Academia will kind of continue to sustain itself as a reliable fixture of these lists for time to come. For sure. But that's really about it for the list. Once again, we've said it before, but it's just really cool to see a book scan list with, again, in terms of the individual series represented on this list, just like a sheer variety of titles on this list. Again, compared to the list we've covered in the past where it's like, this is the most popular series of the month because it has it takes up like half of the list at least. <laughs> Yeah, this was more interesting. There was a more eclectic range of titles. Granted, still mostly dominated by Viz, yep. but we still got, you know, some representation from Square Enix and Kadansha. And hey, Blue Lock had two volumes on this list. So, you know, Viz wasn't the only publisher with a title with multiple volumes, at least on this list. So that's nice to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to what the next month's list is going to look like. Uh, but until then, we actually have one more list to talk about before we head on to the rest of our news. And that is the Oricon list of top best-selling manga midway into the year of 2023. Uh, we're going to be checking in with the highest-selling manga in Japan about six months-ish after uh, the last list we covered around like November, December of last year. And yeah, this is definitely an interesting list. I'm going to, once again, start from the bottom, go all the way to the top. At number 10 on the list, we have Kingdom, which, you know, a little lower than normal, but still sold pretty well at about 1.5 million copies. And yeah, I mean, again, a little lower on the list than normal, but Kingdom at this point, I think as long as it keeps running, it's pretty guaranteed to be in the top 10 somewhere. Yeah, it's been a consistently popular series for over a decade now. So I think Kingdom continues to reign supreme. I think it is interesting. Kingdom has kind of reclaimed a spot in the top 10 for the mid-year list, when in the previous year, I don't believe it even ranked in the mid-year list just because of like even more popular titles. So nice to see it kind of continue to climb its way back into the top 10. 
Next up is a new addition to the list, I believe, with Oshinoko at number 9 on the list, selling 1.6 million copies. Makes sense, obviously, since uh, the anime has been airing and there's been a lot of hype surrounding the series, kind of building up to the premiere of the anime. I know the anime in particular is doing very, very well, even so far as to become, what was it, High Dive's best performing episode one or something like that? Yeah, it's the highest viewed premiere in High Dive's history. Yeah, which is pretty insane, but also not totally a surprise. But still, yeah, Oshinoko, I'm, I'm happy it's doing well. Yeah, Oshinoko, I think, will be the series to watch out for this year in terms of popularity. I think that if we were to perhaps like compare its performance here to titles from the previous year, like kind of where it's entering in in terms of people's enthusiasm and where it might end up, I would say that uh, I, I would not be surprised to see Oshinoko continue to climb higher to be in the top five by the end of the year, in the same way that Blue Lock had uh, also a precipitous rise. Mm-hmm. I could easily see by the end of this year, Oshinoko landing in the top five at the end of the year, like easily. Yeah. Next up at number eight on the list, we have My Hero Academia, selling about 1.8 million copies. Yeah, My Hero Academia is kind of lower on the list relative to where you might expect it normally. However, I do think that um, MHA has the potential to continue to climb in sales by the year end. At the very least, I don't see it in danger of falling off the top 10. It's just definitely clear it's not the most popular series in Jump right now. And enthusiasm has been going to other series, other places. But, you know... I think that still very reliably a strong seller. And I could see if there's just something to just trigger fans' enthusiasm for it again as we continue this final arc. I think that we could see a big push towards the top for it again. Right now, though, it's kind of ranking a little towards the low end of how it's usually performed, but it's still pretty reliably popular. Yeah, I'm even looking at uh, last year's midpoint list. Yeah, it's selling about a million copies less than at this point last year. So, you know, it's certainly not performing in the same way it used to in terms of people's enthusiasm for buying the new audience. No, yeah, like you said, it's definitely waned in popularity over the years, but it still has a very dedicated base, I'd say. Next up at number seven on the list, we have Tokyo Revengers selling about 2.6 million copies. I am very interested in seeing where Tokyo Revengers is at the end of the year, considering, uh, I mean, I, I guess the anime is still, I guess it's not airing right now, but I'm sure there's probably more to come. There'll probably be more projects for it, more spinoffs. I, the main manga has ended at this point, so I guess that's why I'm kind of wondering, like, how it's going to fare by the end of the year. Yeah, I do wonder if we'll still see Tokyo Revengers by the end of the year, if the momentum of the series is still sustained. I mean, Demon Slayer, it lasted like a year and a half after it ended. So it's like not only in the best of 2020, but also 2021, Tokyo Revengers will also see itself perform the same. But I would definitely be interested and uh, seeing like how it continues to do as like the people still are pretty into buying the manga, you know, quite a while after the manga has ended. Of course, you know, comparing it to how it performed like at the peak of the, the popularity and people's interest, you know, there has been a big drop off, but now still perform pretty well. So we'll see how it fares by the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing it is about a 5 million drop compared to last year. Pretty significant, yeah. I mean, last year it was like in number two. 
now it's number seven. So Yeah, so I, I am kind of wondering if like this is around the point where, you know, sales kind of start to wane until we get to the point where it's like other things just kind of start outpacing it in terms of sales. I think it'll happen eventually. I just don't know if it'll happen this year. Yeah, I would say an overall trend of this list is that we're seeing a depression of sales for a lot of series. Like most of the series that are on this list that are on the previous year's list are selling less than what they had. With one notable exception that we'll get to at the very end. For sure, for sure. Next up at number six on the list, we have Spy Family selling about 2.6 million copies. Honestly, I, I think this is the first series on, well... Yeah, this is the first series on the list I could say is like, well, I think this is just only going to increase because obviously the manga's still going. We have season two to look forward to and the movie to look forward to. So like, I think it'll easily be in the top five by the end of this year. Yeah, I can only see Spy Family continue to grow as the year continues on. Mm -hmm. Next up at number five, we have One Piece selling at 3.5 million copies. And yeah, I mean, what is there to say about One Piece? It's, it's, just, it's just doing well. It's interesting because I would, I thought after last year, we kind of were seeing a resurgence of like popularity and interest in One Piece. I don't know if that necessarily has been translating into these volume sales figures because these are lower than what One Piece was doing this time last year. Yeah. I do think we'll continue to see sales climb for One Piece the further along we get into this final arc. And the more that they kind of play upon like big events and do all these big promotional pushes for the series in the same way that they did last year. However, even though I definitely feel that like One Piece awareness popularity, especially internationally, has just continued to grow, particularly in the past few years, it seems that domestically in Japan, it's still not been enough to quite drive up those sales numbers for the volumes. And I do think that's interesting, but I think One Piece is, you know, it's still in the top five. It's no longer, I mean, it's it's long been not at the top <laughs> after so long it's been a decade as the reliable number one. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it still is doing pretty well. I mean, it's still quite popular when you think about all the manga being published and the fact it's still in the top five. Honestly, I don't see One Piece ranking at number one again until we know for sure, like, oh, this is when it's ending, you know? Like, I, I, th yeah. I think that's around the point where when we know for sure, like, when we finally get something in Jump where it's like, oh, a One Piece is ending in this many chapters or whatever, that's when I think we're going to see people, like, re-energize, like, oh, One Piece is ending, I better catch up on that stuff. So I think we're going to see a lot of volumes ship out and move out and be sold around that time for sure. Most definitely. Uh, next up at number four, we have Jujutsu Kaisen selling at 3.7 million copies. So definitely a bit of a drop from last year when it was selling about... Uh, 9 million copies and was at number one, but still does pretty well. Jujutsu Kaisen is still the most popular series currently running in the main weekly Shonen Jump magazine. Definitely, you know, last year was a big year. Last two years were a big year for Jujutsu Kaisen. Now things have waned a bit. However, I would not be surprised if the second season of the anime, like, caused another huge swing and uptick in sales again. Mm -hmm. I mean, season two is coming out pretty soon, so. In July, yeah, so. Yeah, honestly, I could I could see Jujutsu Kaisen being number one again at the end of this year. It could very well happen. But there's also other series on this list that I could see being number one. So I guess what I'm saying is Jujutsu Kaisen still has some competition. 
I don't think it's a guaranteed thing. Oh, yeah, I think that the top two spots in particular, they're going to be pretty heavy challengers because they also could have potential for big popularity upswings as the year continues too. For sure. But before we get to those, let's talk about number three on this list with Slam Dunk selling about almost 4.2 million copies, which... Again, this is this doesn't surprise me because, again, we just had the first slam dunk in theaters and that's been doing crazy well in Japanese theaters and in other places around the world. I, I am not surprised in the slightest that, you know, the success of this movie has led people to go out and buy the manga more. Yeah, I mean, uh, slam dunk, just this resurgence of popularity It is so I mean, a few years ago, we saw this big sales drive for Slam Dunk when there were new editions of the manga that came out. Yeah, for sure. They didn't even need a movie for, for Slam Dunk to just... I mean, people just need an excuse to buy Slam Dunk, <laughs> I think. You know, whether it be new editions of the manga or this new movie to get people to buy the manga again. It's just like, the Japanese fans love Slam Dunk. And they, every, there's just always another opportunity to get more people into Slam Dunk. It was one of Jump's biggest series for a reason. It's just like incredibly accessible entertaining story and yeah i think that movie just it did its job it wanted to reintroduce slam dunk to a new generation of people and this is the result of that it really boosted these manga sales i don't know if we'll still see slam dunk on this list at the year's end i I could see it i could see it still being in number 10 but i'm very much enthused and amused that slam dunk has performed so competitively with all these like newer more recent series it just continues to showed like the power of that series of that franchise yeah i mean like what what other i was gonna say what other 90s series do we usually see rank this highly on these lists i guess one piece but that's still going so i don't don't know if that really technically counts but in terms of series from decades and decades ago that have been long over there's no other series like slam dunk that pops up on this list which i think is really cool yeah. Like, like, especially comparing it to, like, you know, the other, like, I guess the current hotness with stuff like, you know, Jujutsu Kaisen, Spy Family, whatever else happens to have an, a really popular anime, you know? Like, it it really says something about the quality and popularity and legacy of Slam Dunk that it's every, like, basically when it wants to, it could do just as well, if not better. You know? Like, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Again, people just need an excuse to buy Slam Dunk. Oh my god, yeah, I mean, I got I gotta reread Slam Dunk at some point. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, yeah, let, let's let's get to the real heavy hitters here. At number two, we have Chainsaw Man, selling almost 5 million copies, closer to 4.4, but still, Chainsaw Man, I'm not surprised is doing this well. Again, the anime really blew up, and I'm sure people are really gobbling up part two of the manga over, at, over on Jump Plus, and yeah, I mean, Chainsaw Man... It's not surprising to see it do this well. Yeah, I would expect a Chainsaw Man to be in this top five, especially after it's like performance of the year-end Oricon last year. So continuing to do numbers strongly, and I can only see it continue to perform consistently excellently throughout to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. We hinted at it earlier, but yes, at number one, we have Blue Lock coming in at 8 million copies sold, double what Chainsaw Man has sold. And yeah, I mean, Blue Lock, like, you know, we, we have been commenting about how when we covered the book scan list in particular, like, it's really doing pretty well over here in North America for like a soccer manga. But man, yeah, it just doesn't even compare to like how well it does in Japan, apparently. Like, I guess I, I definitely didn't expect Blue Lock to be number one, but I guess it really goes to show just like how much people are really digging it. 
What's so surprising to me about these sales figures is that at the year-end uh, list of last year, that Blue Log had only sold about like 3.5 million for the entirety of 2022. And now here we're like halfway into 2023 and it's sold like over 8 million. So there's been something in Japan recently where like there's just been a huge resurgence, a huge upswing and attention on Blue Lack and like people getting into the series in a big, big way. I mean, this is almost double of what Chainsaw Man has in number two. So this is a pretty significant chasm here. It's pretty significant range in terms of the sales figures. So yeah, I am, I'm very surprised. I would need to perhaps like investigate like why blue lock has really really caught wind in this big way here but it's really really interesting to see and i do think that you know this momentum continues blue lock may very well be the highest selling manga of 2023 at the year end too yeah i mean there's a real possibility I don't know, like, w- without investigating, like, right this second, the only thing I could think of is maybe people just really wanted to know how the rest of the series goes after the anime stopped. That's, like, the best I could think of. But also, like, y- I mean, you could really say that about, uh, you know, a lot of the other series on these lists. But I-, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. But it is really cool to see. I, I was not expecting, you know, we've seen sports manga do really well on the- on this list in particular, but I can't think of a time when, like, a sports manga title ranked number one, at least not as far as I can remember. Much less like two of the top three highest selling manga this year are sports manga. Yeah. And one's a classic of that. That is pretty surprising. Sports manga fans really be winning with Blue Lock and Slam Dunk performing so well this year. Man, maybe maybe I should get into Blue Lock eventually. I've, I've heard good things about it. I mean, at this point, we would be doing a service to ourselves not to <laughs> read Blue Lock to understand why it's so popular, why it's caught on in such a big way. And I've heard interesting things about it, that it's, it's an entertaining sports manga. So I would definitely be keen to join everyone on the field <laughs> to see, kick around the series, see, see what it's made of. Mm-hmm, for sure. But yeah, that's the mid-year list. And I'm genuinely very interested in seeing what's going to be number one at the end of the year. I feel like it's probably going to be Jujutsu Kaisen. I feel like that's like the safest bet, but you never know. Like, that's not me saying that's necessarily guaranteed, but like, I don't know, as as much as I think that is going to happen, I'm also anticipating the possibility of there being a possible shakeup. Like, you know, Blue Lock could still stay number one. We don't know. Or it could be something else entirely that we're not expecting. That's happened before. Yeah, I mean... You know, this list is full of some surprises in terms of how well some things are doing relative to others. So, you know, we have another half the year left. There may be more surprises in store for us. Who knows how the end of the year will look, but this is an interesting snapshot of how well things have been doing so far and what has really captured people's attention in the pop culture zeitgeist over there in Japan. For sure, for sure. But that's really about it for all of our list news. And Lum, I think we got to get to arguably some of the biggest news we have to cover on this episode. Yes. So the biggest news, of course, has been, you know, we knew that in May, Kadansha was going to launch their own manga app. What we didn't know, what came out of nowhere for pretty much everyone, because it was self-dropped, was that Viz was also planning and developing their own new manga app. For many years, we have been wanting a service similar to the Shonen Jump subscription service in which we could read various Viz media titles, including especially ShikakaCon titles uh, from Shonen Sunday, some uh, especially Shoujo titles. So many people have wanted a Shoujo Beat app. And Viz 
has been working on like their own manga app that kind of meets all those different fan demands all in one. Their new Viz manga app, you know, the news was broken by the New York Times before the app even launched right at midnight on May 9th. And I think that like the idea was that, hey, we're going to tell you press outlets like, you know, we're going to give you our press leads like what we're planning to do on May 9th. We're going to launch this service. And then like New York Times was like, okay, we're reading very literal but like right at midnight May 9th we post this article when the app hadn't launched yet so but in an hour Viz launched the app and made their social posts and you know other news followed I, I this reading of it you know uh this is speculation that Caleb made. It's also based on, you know, the fact that Anime News Network waited until the morning, a reasonable hour to post the news and had more clarifying details and stuff like that. But yeah, it was it was interesting how it played out because the site and app launched, people took notice of it before even perhaps even seeing the announcement. And yeah, everyone just was like going crazy all over it. For my part, I think that um, I was like just home working and then I just happened to be on Twitter and see news of this and was like, what? Really? And I went on with the site and I, I went to the new Viz manga section and saw, wow, I can read simul published chapters now of so many <laughs> different Shonen Sunday series. There are like 900 plus chapters of Conan available <laughs> in this Viz vault. And there's a hundred chapter gap because they're far behind. But that's a lot of Conan. That's like nine, there's 80, 80 volumes of Conan, 80 plus volumes of Conan, and all the most recent chapters in this Viz manga vault. In total, like this Viz manga service, they have simul titles from a variety of publications, but mainly Shonen Sunday. The simulposts that you can now read on this manga include Mao, Psalm 100, Yashihime, Komi Can't Communicate, Call of the Night, Freyren, Insomniac After School, Fly Me to the Moon, The King's Beast, The Persona 5 manga, Saving Princess of Demon Castle, Case Closed, How Do We Relationship, Queen's Quality, and Black Lagoon. What I love about the selection is that not only do we have like kind of the more popular show Sunday titles, but we have shoujo simulposts from this for the first time thanks to Queen's Quality and King's Beast. Which is also a, a fun pairing in terms of the two show titles when King wants to queen. Uh, but we also got a Yuri style up and how do we relationship? We got some saying a Black Lagoon and Insomniacs After School. It's a nice variety of different titles, different genres now available that are simul pushed by this. And that is so exciting. And of course, the backlog is mainly comprised of Shigakukan titles, but there are a few Shueisha. You can read like just an incredible variety of series from across Viz's different imprints that are just all encapsulated in this vault. I believe there are like a like hundred thirty plus series that are available in this vault now from Viz. It's a lot of titles. And there's going to be more. Yeah, they'll only just continue to add more titles, much like how the Shonen Jump service has, you know, continued to add new Jump titles as they come out. The more, like, Viz titles get released, like, the more that they license something under Beat or Sunday or even a signature title, that is all fair game to be added into the vault. To say nothing about, like, other backlog titles that may not be ready yet, but could be added to the vault. So it is really exciting to just have this new service that kind of allows you to get access to an even broader variety of manga from so many like different 
I mean, all from Viz, but, you know, the selection itself is from different publications over in Japan and even includes some of the Viz original titles like Devil's Candy. I was really happy to see this. For us, definitely this makes covering a lot of like these longer or out of print titles much easier. It definitely gives us even less of an excuse not to cover even more shoujo on the show with so many titles with full runs available in this Viz manga backlog. Uh-huh. And yeah, I definitely, for so many people, like everyone was especially titled with the shoujo editions, the ability to read Basra in here, like that was the title that people are like, yes, oh my God, thank you. I can read Basra without having to hunt down these volumes just in this really accessible way. I, I saw a lot of talk about that in uh, Hot Gimmick in particular. Hot Gimmick was the <laughs> Everyone, people are like, oh, I could read like something like cool and prestigious like Vostra, but I might read my trash favorite hot gimmick, which led to some fun conversations. And I think that Ashley has gotten in touch with Maxi. Uh, hopefully, Maxi will get to be on to discuss why they, they love hot gimmicks so much. I would love to listen to that. But yeah, I would be very uh, excited. <laughs> Just check out that title. And now I have a very accessible way to do that because... Yeah, the Viz Manga service, it's only about $1.99 a month. It's even cheaper than the Jump subscription, which is now like $2.99. Yeah, so for just barely $5, you have so much manga to read between this and the Shonen Jump app. Yeah, so yeah, collectively for $5, you have access to 200 plus series, tens of thousands of word chapters worth of content, multiple volumes worth of content. Not even four ninety nine, four ninety eight altogether. Yeah, I mean, depending semantics, but yeah, basically. But uh, you know, some people have also noted that wow, because of how some of the chapter distributions work, thanks to the hundred chapter limit, you can read an entire full run of some series, like multiple volumes of like really long series, like in a single day. Yeah. Like Nana, you know, there are technically not <laughs> there are twenty volumes of Nana, but there are not a hundred chapters. So you could read all of Nana. Uh, in a single day. That's a lot of content that you can take advantage of this app to read, you know? You can, you really are getting so much mileage, so much content out of your subscription Oh here. my god, we could finally talk about Nana. <laughs> well, I, I already had the volumes myself. Well, I did it, so this makes it much easier for me. <laughs> Yes, I get it. It makes it much easier for us to talk about so many titles that were either our print or a lot of volumes would be pretty pricey to buy or difficult to kind of find from local libraries. So yeah, this is just a a great boon for just manga fans and so many people, you know, because the interface, how people interact with the VizManga app was already set up and they already had set up the the Shonen Jump model. It was very easy to just kind of retool the VizManga app to have like this very, you know, user-friendly interface, very intuitive, very easy, easy to use and very appealing to use. So the VizManga app updated, you can just read all these chapters within there. Now, with this update, there is now a distinction that you can only use the Vizmanga app with a Vizmanga subscription, and then you can only use uh, the Shonen Jump app. I mean, you could only use the Shonen Jump app with a Shonen Jump subscription, but now you can't use the Shonen Jump subscription within the Vizmanga app. They have to create that separation. Probably a Chueisha's request to keep the Jump brand separate or perhaps just some challenge with having two subscriptions on the same app at the same time. Whatever the reason, that is the only like kind of main thing that I could see people 
kind of be reluctant about. However, it's really not such a big deal to just have two different apps that are free to download anyway, and then just have the curated content selection within each app. So this is just a plus all around. It's just a great launch of a new service. I have definitely really appreciated checking in on the newest chapters of Mao and Yashihime and hope to get caught up on so many other titles that I had been keeping up with in the volumes, but now have a chance to keep up with as they run. This has just been extremely exciting news. And if you somehow have not heard of it within the past month, you definitely get on with the subscription. There's just so many titles to explore and check out, so much to read. This was a nice, really excellent surprise from Viz. But I think what was the most surprising thing about it, of course, was that Viz shadow dropped this again, just a couple days out from when K-Manga launched on the 11th. Now, K-Manga, we had known about for a while that Kodansha was launching their own app and site where you can, you know, read exclusively their titles. And we were all like kind of reluctant and kind of nervous about like how their pricing model would be. You know, would they have... Have like a very straightforward, hey, just subscribe to this, you read everything like this, or would they have this complex model with, you know, you have to um, use like these tokens to unlock things that you gotta buy or you gotta earn by doing weird tasks and chapters will be separated and split up and all these other weird things that we saw happen with the Manga Up app that made it kind of frustrating to use. And sure enough, uh, Kodansha did end up going that route. <sighs> The K-Manga app. Hate it. It has a point system, uh-huh. ticket system that you need to use to unlock chapters that are paywalled. There are free chapters, so that's one thing I will say is that you can use the K-Manga app to read a lot of uh, series that are just available for free, you know, and that's perfectly fine. Like right now, there is something where you, know, you can you can read like multiple volumes of series like Jihaya Furu, Fable. I think Fairy Tale's doing something like that right now. Yeah, Fairy Tale has like, hey, you can read every chapter of Fairy Tale. Every chapter is on unlocked. Uh, well, all chapters are free for a limited time, but you you do will need to unlock actually some chapters with tickets. Mm. So if there's some like promotions you can take advantage to read a lot of series for free on K Manga. So it's not for nothing there. You know, you you do have some advantages, but like the a system of like kind of getting points to unlock the chapters, you know, it's just rather cumbersome uh, and tedious, a little bit complicated. So basically how the service works is that the service gives users a ticket once a day, and these tickets can be used to read a single chapter of a K-Manga series. Then you can get like three to four premium tickets per day from login bonuses and other special campaigns. And then together, you can use these normal premium tickets to read four to five chapters of a single title of the day. But the premium tickets have an expiration date. So the premium tickets, one premium ticket unlocks like four to five chapters a day, basically. It's like how how that works. But uh, also, you can use points to unlock chapters. The transaction system is that $1 is the equivalent of 100 points. Now, on K-Manga you'll see like a variety of like price ranges for tickets but currently it seems like most chapters can be unlocked with 69 points so you need like at minimum to unlock a chapter 
69 cents you need to unlock it but that's that's only to rent it that's only for a limited time you can read it you, you don't get to keep the chapter just like manga up and of course like other series like monthly series the price is going to be much more to unlock a monthly chapter it'll be 139 it uh, looks like so and again there's variable prices here so it's it's different depending on the series and depending on the length of the chapter even within the same series, like older chapters of a series might cost less points than newer chapters. Right? A newer chapter might be more points. It might take much more to unlock than an older chapter. So like it has like kind of this ticket and a point system. And in addition, there's like these other ways you can like earn points or tickets. Like you can watch ads, do these like mini games, basically. Play Great Shadow Legends or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, uh, you have to play external things to, you know, get, be able to read your manga. So yeah, look, I'm sorry. I, I need to cut it, in. It's kind of like breaking the immersion. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I need to cut in here real quick and just say, yeah, I, you know, I, I, re I really wanted to give K manga the benefit of the doubt, but man, I'm not a fan of how this is set up. Like, my quick thoughts are, I. I much prefer Vizmonga over this, obviously, because it's like, I prefer having the option of just pay a flat fee, I can read whatever I want, okay, go out into the world and read whatever I want, and it's not much more of a hassle than that. Here, I just feel like, when I see all these systems here of like, oh, you, you need to get tickets, or oh, you need to get points, and oh, you have to watch ads and play games to like get tickets or points or whatever to read the stuff you want. It just feels like I get exhausted looking at these. Like it just makes me want to read their stuff less, mostly because it's like, this just seems like a lot of work. I just want to read manga. You know, like, it's just not the way I prefer to do things. I've seen people try to play devil's advocate and be like, well, this is how Japanese companies do it in Japan. And I'm just like, well, if, if it works for them, that's great. But I just don't think this kind of thing works for most people over here. Like, this is clearly spearheaded by Kodansha's Japanese company and not Kodansha USA. Because I feel like if Kodansha USA were in charge of this, they would have had an entirely different approach. But I don't know, that's just me. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that because it does make the act of reading manga... Like it gives you extra it just steps feels like and a it chore. makes it like less fun and experience. Yeah, it just gives you extra steps to make. Why do I want to spend time like not doing this when I just want to read manga? I'll just go elsewhere yeah. to read it. You know. So I think that it just makes more sense to have like just a simple model. You know, if you want to have your chapters, you know, be unlocked with coins or points or whatever. I mean, just use that, but then don't complicate it with having an extra system. Like the problem is that there's two systems: there's tickets and there's coins and then you have to earn some of these things through like these ads and mini games and there's no consistency uh in terms of like how much a chapter costs between a title and there's just no like guide that you can follow to just know like okay so a chapter this length will cost this much just regularly and whatnot so it all it's just very confusing for most people i think to just try and navigate the system Kadansha's argument, at least as they've kind of relayed to ANN, is that doing this system they felt would maximize royalties for individual creators and encourage users to try out a variety of titles instead of subscribing for a popular title. 
I do not believe that the system incentivizes the latter because I think when you're making it kind of a chore to read a series people are a fan of and like want to continue reading more of, then why would they stick with the service to try and read something else when, you know, they're not the only manga app in the market and the consumer can go elsewhere to read their manga. They can just not use the K-Manga app if they get bored of it or frustrated with it. So I don't think that really works out in the way that they intended to, at least not for the North American market. Now, in terms of like the subscription service, like in terms of like how the current system might maximize royalties for creators in comparison to a subscription service, it is true that like... um. I mean, we talked with Jeff a long time ago about how royalties work using this subscription service, that it does track what you are reading and they kind of weight what your subscription payment goes to based on that. But um, for like most streaming services, uh, subscription services, I mean, like, you know, especially ones that are as cheap as this is or like just other platforms, you would imagine that like the amount of individual royalties uh, that are getting distributed to the original creators is pretty small through that system. Yeah, it can't be a lot. Yeah, I guess in this respect, Kadansh's model in which like, well, okay, you're directly paying to unlock these specific chapters, uh, and then you're directly paying for the specific series. I mean, that more directly is going to go and probably give a bigger percentage to specific creators. I can see some logic behind that. However, again, I think that it just falls flat when you make the act of unlock chapters unsatisfying for the consumer. Yeah. Because like you're again, you're renting these chapters, you don't have access to it, and there's no consistency in like how much you need to unlock a chapter. I just don't think that a lot of people will go through the effort when they can find a way to read the manga that they like more easily elsewhere. And I think that is kind of the thing that they kind of miss the mark. I mean, I think the idea of like this app also is like to be like a sampler so like you know by offering like select amount of chapters for free they can at least incentivize some people to hey check out read a little bit of a series and then they could either continue with the app or they could buy the volumes and i think that might work in that direction if the app was like easy to use but it's not intuitive to use because again you can it really has a very specific search bar function so if you don't type out the name of a series like precisely, you're not going to find it. And it's just little things like that with the UI, just how the thing is organized. Like you can't, there's just not a simul pubs tab even. There's like a daily updates, but there's no simul pubs tabs. If you don't know what the simul pubs are, and there are a lot of simul pubs, there's 61 plus of these things. So if you don't know what they are, you're not going to be able to find them easily, old them easily just to keep track of them. I mean, they have like a serialized titles ad, but these are not like, um, they're not necessarily cyber pubs. Yeah, some are not necessarily cyber pubs. Because, like, some of these stu- these serialized titles that include series that are completed, but they just like add unlocked chapters of. And so the distinction that you, I guess, are supposed to recognize of what is a cyberpub titled is the whatever has a KM original banner. Okay. 
But even then, it's not terribly noticeable. It's just still confusing, you know, if you don't have an awareness beforehand of like, what are the currently ongoing series and when, how we would distinguish them. Not only, not all of them are KM original. So I don't know what KM original, I think is just like the stuff that are exclusive to K-Manga that like they only, you can only read on K-Manga you can't like read available from volumes from Kodansha in English yet. So it's not even like all of the simulpods are considered game original. It's just like the exclusives. But even then, like, yeah, they don't do a good job of distinguishing, hey, here are the series that you can only read on K-Manga. These these are the incentives. You should read stuff on K-Manga. It's for these series. You cannot read anywhere else. And I don't think they've done a good job of communicating that value to people, certainly. Yeah, I just don't really understand a lot of like kind of the way they've marketed this. They have not done a great job of like, I mean, they try and they had like these tutorial videos and they really expect people to like take time to learn how to use a subscription service. They they, they literally have tutorial videos that they share with A&N and then also on their Kodansha YouTube that are like, hey, here is how things work. And it's like, they're not long tutorial videos. They're like 30 seconds each, but it's still like, it's going to be like, you don't want to have a service that is complicated enough to use for the average consumer that you need a tutorial. I don't want to watch a video to learn how to read manga. I I know how to read manga. Just let me read manga. Yeah, it's just... (laughs) I hate it. It's not the most complicated thing in the world. Not necessarily, but it's just like complicated enough to be frustrating to be kind of tedious like that shouldn't be a factor that shouldn't be something you need just to use an app like that that's what i'm talking about right like i i think the thing i hate the most about this app is that i don't like the idea of gamifying reading manga like you're turning reading manga into like a game and that just again that just feels like such a chore to me like i could literally go out right now and just Like, it would be easier for me to just get individual volumes of the series I want to read from Kodansha. Like, I don't want to have to pay for, like, individual chapters, especially since they're doing that thing that Manga Up was doing where it's like, oh, we're going to split up our chapters into, like, four parts or whatever it is. Like, that stuff I hate. I don't think we've even mentioned yet that, like, there are some series on the K-Manga app that are, like, censored too. So there's that. Yeah, I just like manga. Yeah, so again, I would just personally rather just buy these volumes digitally, or I know, I mean, it's not even worth mentioning, but I I know there are going to be people out there that are going to use this as an excuse to like, well, I might as well just pirate manga. Like, you know, people are going to do that. And I'm, you know, there's nothing we can do about that. That was going to happen anyway, but I feel like this is just something that's going to give people more of an excuse to do that kind of thing, you know, at least in their minds anyway, but I guess that's neither here nor there. It's to, it just, it, this app just like makes it so much harder to like read the stuff I want to read, which is a shame because like, you know, we mentioned that there are titles on here that you can only read on K-Manga. I, I think the one that stood out to me was, uh, they just have all the baby steps on here. Yeah, that is what I was thinking about. Like they have all of like this extremely, extremely long series that has, you know, not been available before and they just dropped it here and they, they didn't even like highlight, hey, we have all of this series that is exclusive to us, just like a nearly 50 volume plus series. And you just, you just don't highlight it at all. And it's like, so how would people know about it? You know, 
And it's like you put on all this work to like translate the series. And this is the kind of stuff you need to be like kind of appealing, like saying, here's the value appeal of our, our exclusive titles is that you can read like stuff like this. Yeah. And they, they don't really do a good job in terms of the marketing of that. And yeah, for me, it's frustrating because I, I, before we could read Kadanja titles like everywhere, not pretty much everywhere else because of their partnerships. And it was very, you know, you had to either like subscribe to Crunchyroll Monogo or you had to like buy the chapters individually for their simulpods. But at least that was more straightforward than this new model in terms of like at least you know when a lot of this stuff is on ASCII you know you could just subscribe to ASCII and you'd read the, the new Silent Hill chapters and the back logo chapters but now you have to buy every chapter individually and there's going to be if you want to read things free there's like a limit of time you can read things free it's only available in the U.S. It's only available in U.S. That's another thing is that that's another big problem that's that this has really limited the accessibility of the titles where people that could have read them outside of the U.S. before. Kanansha Simulhoods used to be available in other territories, too. I guess, to be fair, that is one thing that, that we didn't mention about this manga is that this manga is also only available in the U.S. and Canada. North America, basically. So this is incredibly restrictive and frustrating if you were a fan of the series in other countries, and now you don't have access to Simulpods anymore. Yeah, th- that's another thing about this compared to Viz Manga. Like, I guess I can't say for sure whether K-Manga is eventually going to branch out, but at least with Viz Manga, I'm more confident that, you know, eventually they'll want to make their stuff, like the Viz Manga stuff in particular, available to more people outside of North America. Whereas here, like, that was something we brought up... I I think when we initially talked about this announcement was that Kodansha literally took off like all of their titles that were available literally like on like all these other platforms and basically paywalled them to an app that again you can only use in the US and I I feel like that feels much more malicious to me you know that feels like a middle finger to people who actually want to support Kodansha titles in particular I don't know. I wouldn't subscribe any malishness in terms of like what this business model is. I would say it's, it's a short-sighted strategy that doesn't really take into account into like what readers in the North American market have come to expect and what they will favor. Like these models are common in Japan, perhaps because the way these apps are used in Japan, these are not just the only way that people can read and have access to like these titles like day and date. Like they can be used as like a sampler for every now and again, but they're not like people's main way of engaging with the manga. They're a way to like introduce people to manga and then they can go out and like continue by buying the volumes or buying the magazines themselves. Now, we do not have access to separate digital magazines or digital simul releases outside of the K-Manga app. K-Mangas are only direct interface with a lot of titles that are being simul published by Knancha through it. So we have to use it in order to read these titles now. And it's, it's just frustrating. It also is worth noting that in terms of the localization for the Simulhubs on K-Manga, Kadansha has kind of organized those localization teams separately from Kadansha USA. The Simulhubs are generally going to be handled by a different team from how Kadansha USA handles the same series that they publish. And, you know, for a series that were previously being simul-translated by Kodansha USA, like K-Manga, has tried to reach out and work with, like, the previous localization teams, but that has not remained the case for every title. 
there is a degree of consistency in communication about like how they are translated, how they are localized, but they are not being done necessarily by the same localization teams. Kadanchi USA is really not super involved in like what is being done with K-manga other than being asked to promote it, really. It's basically like the relationship between Viz and Manga Plus, you know, basically Shueisha took it, takes all the stuff Viz does and puts it on Manga Plus and Viz is reluctant to ever, ever make mention of it. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely, this is a bit of a tangent. I remember listening to an episode of the Shonen Jump podcast where like one of the guests on there mentioned Manga Plus and I think Uriah had to be like, Manga Plus? What's Manga Plus? I don't know what Manga Plus is. And then I thought like at the time I thought that was weird, but like as the years gone on, and the more we've learned about Manga Plus and possibly what is going on on the inside and what they want to do with the service and the kind of stuff they want to aim for, their goals and everything. Like, yeah, I can see why they don't want to promote it on the Shota Jump podcast. It makes sense in hindsight, but but that's neither here nor there. Um, Yeah, it makes sense. Like, I already kind of knew like, oh, Kodansha USA clearly isn't working with the main Kodansha company in Japan on this. And I guess I, guess I didn't know the behind the scenes of what they were doing in terms of of like organizing localization teams and whatnot. That that makes sense to me though. Yes. I would say that I think that the difference in how K-Manga has turned out as compared to Viz Manga comes from a difference in perspective, a difference philosophy that I think Kim Morrissey very well articulated in her Answer Man column on this that I'll just paraphrase and add on to. But basically, I think that with Viz Manga, you know, we have like an initiative from Viz in response to like what they have heard fans ask for, uh, what they understand fans have wanted to see and trying to create a platform and an app in which you can read a variety of manga in a really accessible and affordable way. And I think that was the goal of the Viz Manga App Service is accessibility of a variety of titles to a lot of people. And with K-Manga, I do not think that a priority was necessarily accessibility I think that the priority is mostly about what is the best way in which we can offer our manga on our own terms and maximize how we can make money from the chapters in a way that also like kind of keeps readers engaged with the app coming back in their minds. I think that, oh, people will want to be competitive for a chance to unlock more manga. So they'll play these mini games, they'll do these side things that help you gain points or unlock chapters and I think that's a misunderstanding of like what people want to manga app to be it's just like an interface a place where they can go find manga and read it I think Kadansha is like well how do we make a business model in which we like we get the most return out of selling these series while still offering free content basically how do we make a freemium app whereas like the Viz manga is like well this is just a subscription app you know the K-Manga app is like a freemium thing it's like there's some things you can do for free but you have to pay or you have to like do all these like run around stuff in order to get the stuff you want So I think that when it comes to like how they even communicate their brand, I think Viz has done a great job over the last couple of years to establish like this significant Shonen Jump land, but also a significant brand for themselves. And so that is why also having a subscription model makes sense for them and works for them because people know what they can expect. Certainly from Shonen Jump, what they can expect out of a Shonen Jump subscription. And if not, like they can see the big title 
titles. And people have come to know what Viz is and the variety of titles they publish, and they make sure to emphasize, like, in their their marketing, their big titles people would recognize, like, you know, Inuyasha, Psalm, and stuff like that. So I think that they've made a good recognition of, like, okay, well, our brand name is recognizable, our, our identity is recognizable with a variety of people, so we can make this work and draw attention to it. I think K-Manga made a miscalculation because I don't, the Kadansha brand, I don't think, has a strong, like, awareness and identity in the broader North American manga market. I mean, I think people do know the name Kodansha USA if you're like a big manga fan, but you don't like really know the identifying features of Kodansha uh, in the same way that you might know the identifying features of what's a Shonen Jump brand or the Viz brand. Like the logo, the colors associated with it, they're just not as recognizable. And that has kind of been complicated with like K-Manga is like, you know, the K-Manga branding is distinct from the Kadanshi USA branding. So they're not synchronous. And more than that, the letter K, as is used as a prefix for a genre, usually tends to kind of refer to content out of Korea. So K-pop, K-dramas. So like K-Manga, in terms of like how the most people might think of it is like, oh, are these Korean manga? People would not associate the letter K necessarily with Kadansha. No, not at all. Uh, I think that also is something where, well, why would people like, you're kind of causing some some confusion here in terms of like, what is K-manga? Like, I don't, why, what is Kadansha? What is the selection titles? What is this? You know, they I don't think they did a good job of like establishing themselves. A brand that makes people be like, oh yeah, I know what, I, I'm excited about Kadansha titles. I know what a Kadansha is. I'll, I'll engage with this app and stuff like that. So really it is about like the titles. It is about like promoting the fact that, hey, we got Fairy Tale, we got Windlands Line, we got Attack on Titan, Tokyo Avengers. Um, and I think that, Obviously, like, it's good that they have kind of these initiatives in which, like, hey, you can read, like, every chapter for free, except not really, because you still have to unlock some of these chapters, which is it's confusing. I don't know why you promote it like that. But, um, yeah, it's just, I think that for most people, like, the K-Manga branding is just going to be considered, like, kind of just random. I don't see that, like, how that they've well communicated, like, the appeal of the app outside of, like, well, here's, like, a selection of titles that are, like, published by Kadansha available by us. But I don't think that they've kind of created like an interface. They've created like a model in which that kind of incentivizes people to continue using the service and like kind of get an understanding of like, okay, what does it mean? What is a, a K manga? What are the, the brand features? What are the identifying features compared to like how we said it's done with Shonen Jump and? You know, they're just general Viz brand. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, we mentioned it on a previous episode, but it does bear repeating. Their mascot is unremarkable at the very least. Yeah. I mean, Kadensha USA got Mashima to draw them a cute mascot, and I think they're great. I think that the Kadensha USA mascot, cute kitty, I don't... The bunny that K-Manga has is, like, very, very boring. It's like you painted happy pink, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and why a bunny? You know, like with Mashima, with, with Kadanshi USA's like mascot, you know, a cat. Cat makes sense, you know, because you immediately think like, oh, a cat like in fairy tale. Cats are huge in fairy tale; they're really important. I get why you would want your mascot to be a cat as like a kind of callback to fairy tale, one of your biggest series. 
And also cats are cute. People love cats. I mean, people love bunnies too, but what does a bunny have to do with the broader spectrum of Kodansha manga? I, it, it seems a little random. I think it's cute that it, their ear holes are little hearts, but it's like just not a very distinctive design otherwise. Like it's, it's wearing these overalls. They're not very cheek and fashionable. I don't know why it has like this little pocket that has like exclamation and question mark on it. I don't know what that's supposed to signify. I don't know what's in the pocket. What's that supposed to be? Is that a scorecard? What What is... See, I don't... The design, it does not directly have a personality that reflects to me what the K-Manga brand is trying to communicate to me about why they you should use the surface and what makes them unique. We haven't mentioned it yet because it hasn't really come up, but I think it's also worth mentioning that like K-Manga is also basically just the u.s version of um what was it magazine pocket i i know kodansha has an app in japan that's like very similar to this and i think this is like what it's based off of and i think because of that i think they're just using the same mascot from that app so i don't think this is like a new mascot like i, I think i think they're literally just using the same like ui and the same design same mascot from whatever app they use in japan for kodansha stuff yeah. So maybe maybe that's maybe that's why the rabbit has a pocket because Yeah, cuz I think the app is called like Manga Pocket. Okay, so see that makes sense then for that app because okay, though that makes sense like the pocket, you know, re- relates to the name of the app. What is the pocket? What what is the design have to relate to K Manga as a you know digital subscription service for the North American market? Well, what does it have to do with the name? Why is there an exclamation mark and a question mark on the overalls instead of a K for K Manga? You know, it's it kind of put a little more thought into the mascot and tailoring it for this specific service to, to connect them a little better. Small correction: magazine pocket, I think, is what the app is called. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm seeing here. But still. still, yeah. So again, they're they're literally just reusing assets from their original magazine pocket app. Like it, it's not even. I don't know this this whole this whole thing. I think just doesn't work. It's basically the long and short of it. Yeah, I think that they really made a miscalculation of like what people want. If you look at like user ratings on various platforms like Google Play and iTunes, you'll see that uh, they've not gotten good ratings on iTunes. They're like at a 1.2. Damn. They're a little better on Google Play, about a 2.8, but still not not ratings you want. It's not great. No, <laughs> not at all. Not ratings you want from a service you want to be kind of the primary interface. Fans have with a lot of your titles and something that will kind of build brand engagement and endearment to like U.S. readers and Kodansha brand in the U.S. and internationally. So yeah, I think they made big miscalculation of like what people's tastes are and like what people in North America would be interested in, in using as a manga app and like how they how they engage with manga. So like, yeah, I, I think that was a misfire. I also think that they're doing a lot of their promotional events too late. Recently, they announced that like they're going to be doing this like launch party for the browser of K-Manga like on June 22nd, even though the browser has just before he launched that. So it's kind of delayed this big promotion. And that might be like a, a timing thing for sure. But um, it's like, yeah, you could have done better to have this launch party like happen like when K-Manga actually launched. Because, you know, th- that's a cool promotional event. So, like you have like big guests who are going to be like on the, the stream or send messages to fans. You're going to have Gigak as the MC and Gigak and Reina. Uh, you're going to have like his live guest, Hiromashima, and then Reiji Mi- the, the girlfriend person you're gonna have an interview with Hajime Ziyama 
and then messages from a bunch of other manga artists who are behind all the big Kodansha titles. And so, yeah, you got this nice stream with a lot of big guests and guests that could be a great promotional event. But why is it happening on Thursday, June 22nd? Why why would this, this launch party not happen when K-Manga launched, you know, or, or right before? Or at least like maybe like a week later, maybe. Not, not like a whole month, you know? <laughs> While it's still fresh and while there's people, you know, still intrigued and choosed wanting to check it out, this is like a little bit too delayed because, you know, even though this app technically just came out like last month, I feel like already... I would imagine so many people have kind of bounced off on it. I mean, especially of the ratings, user ratings are an indication. I mean, I'm sure there are still people who are using it. There are definitely people who are like, okay, well, there are workarounds to make this work for me, strategies to get the most out of the app to read stuff for free. And for sure, there, there definitely is a fair amount of free content. You might not be re- able to read an entire series for free without the hassle of purchasing for things, but you can read like a couple volumes of stuff for free, which is pretty nice. But yeah, I just feel like this entire strategy that they had behind K-Manga from the, the marketing, from like kind of the conception, design, the, the release, I think all of it was very mishandled. Yeah. I'm certainly not trying to position myself as, as knowing what would have been better other than the obvious things of like, well, have like a more reliable timeline in terms of your marketing push. Like don't let too much lag happen. Um, and then like also do the subscription model, do a simplified model that people will get into, have more clear communication about what is on your app and what it offers, make it easier for people to find things, to navigate, get to the things that they want to read have a better recommendation system other than based on genres like have like a user-based recommendation system that like looks at what people are reading and recommend stuff based on that it's just like kind of basic stuff that i have to feel like you know that could have been implemented to make this more appealing but um yeah, I just think K-Manga is just such an interesting case study in contrast to FizzManga in terms of one app that has just been widely celebrated when it was released. People were so excited to see about it. And then K-Manga, which when it came out, people were like, this is underwhelming and frustrating. And I'm just going to go back to do reading this manga somewhere else or, or use WizManga. Yeah. And I do think that... Uh, this manga definitely like defang K manga's hype a lot yep. by you know stealth dropping yep. before them. I definitely feel that this was like a play by Shigaka Khan and Shueisha to be like, hey, Kirancho wants to do this thing internationally. Let's get on this before them. Now I think that this has been developing for as long and not longer. They might have, but like, yeah, it's it definitely feels like calculated strategy. Like, Yo, we want to release this before K manga. They just completely <laughs> the power their their launch date. So I do think that was a little sneaky. It's a Bart business strategy for this, but I am used and appreciative of it. It was certainly a power move. It was. It was very entertaining, too, to just kind of see the contrast within the same week between how these were received. Yeah, I mean, if I had any, like, closing thoughts before we move on, I... I don't know, like, I genuinely thought about using a little bit of the app before we recorded today, but, like, I mean, one, I just I just didn't really have the chance to, but two, even if I did, I just, everything I had seen come out about this app and, like, you know, all the stuff we've talked about in the past, however long we've spent on this, I don't know, like, the more I talk about it and the more I see from this app and the more I hear about others' experiences on this app, it's just... 
just like with manga up, it's just not something I'm interested in using. And if I want to read stuff that's on the app, I mean, unless it's app only, then I guess in that case, I'm going to have to wait until they hopefully maybe do digital volumes for some of these series. And I want to read baby steps, but I don't want to buy every chapter individually. I'll just wait for that specifically. But you know, anything else, you know, like the more popular, more widely available stuff that I can't buy digital volumes of, I'm just going to read it somewhere else. Like, I, I just have no desire to use this app whatsoever. Yeah, because even if the act of purchasing chapters on the app is slightly cheaper than like purchasing volumes, you're still only going to be able to rent those chapters for like 72 hours. So in terms of like value benefit, it's, it makes more sense to pay to buy a volume if you want to read a series than it does to like pay to unlock a chapter. Plus, once again, they divide these chapters in parts most of the time. And also a lot of the content in some places is still censored. So like, what's the point? Yeah. So it just not really position itself as having a ton of great value for the consumer in comparison to other platforms and other ways of reading manga. Yeah, there's more there's more constant pros for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't find it completely unusable just like manga. I do think there are some ways you can use this to get the most out of it for yourself for free with like planning and stuff. But that's also extra work <laughs> to put on yourself in order to strategize how to the most out of the free features than like just logging into your subscription uh, and then just reading whatever you want. Yeah, I, you I don't want to have to come up with like hacks in order to read the stuff I want to read, you know, like like you said, it's just it's just too much work. It's a chore. I don't want to go through that. Yeah. So... We'll see how K-Manga continues to fare. I feel like the reaction to it has been pretty negative, I think. And I hope, I wonder if that message has been sent to Kodansha and they are going to think about perhaps retooling or relaunching. Maybe, yeah. I think maybe right now with this whole like, hey, here we're having this big launch party, their idea is like, hey, let's promote goodwill to get people excited about King Manga. But I think unless fundamentally how the service works changes, I don't see people coming back to it. Unless they have like such a big get in terms of like their exclusive titles, you know, it really gets people to use the app. But I mean, I don't know how well it's doing. I can't imagine, though, that retention has remained strong in the month that it's been released. No, I, I can't imagine there are a lot of people who might have checked out the app day one or, like, still using it. I feel like there are probably a lot of people who have dropped off on it by this point. I, I would have to imagine anyway. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with K-Manga. I think Vizmanga has a bright future, and I'm very excited for what's going to come for there. And we're going to just see like how the future of this kind of manga apps platform space continues to evolve. Yeah, like we didn't mention with Vizmanga earlier, but like the thing that's great about Vizmanga is that individually, there are series that are getting pub that would be like big news on their own. Like Case Closed is getting a pub. Black Lagoon is getting a pub. These things would be like big news in their own right. But like... Like, the fact that we got the news of all these different Savile pubs, like, in one announcement makes the announcement of Viz Manga and its existence just that much more exciting, you know? Like, it's like Christmas all over again, and we got more than one gift, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that Viz does a better job also just promoting what they have and that you can read these things compared to K-Manga, where, like, I'm pretty sure I'm following them both, but I see, like, Viz Manga promote, like, new chapters of their stuff a lot more than I see K-Manga. And I think that they did a better job of just let people know, like, hey, this is what we have. 
like as the app was launching, before it was launching, the like K manga, you know, they highlighted their big titles, but like there's a lot of like exclusive titles on K manga I didn't know they had until I saw someone mention, like, hey, you can read Parasite Reverse Eye on K manga. And I'm like, really? I didn't know that. You could have mentioned that. You can read like the, the Tokyo Revengers spinoff manga of Abaji on K manga. Oh, well, Tokyo Revengers is big. How come I didn't see you mention promote this? So they really did not do a good job of like letting you know, like, hey, here are the cool exclusive things you got. Here are the cool simulpods we got. Here, the, you know, the, here we're emphasizing the quantity of things, but not the specific things that will get you excited. Yeah, exactly. Like, I totally forgot until you just mentioned it that that Parasite Reversi manga is just on there. And that was something I was really wanting to check out. But I, I don't want to do it through K-manga. I just don't. <laughs> God. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, we'll see what happens. If any updates come out about K-manga, we'll be sure to let you know. Yeah. I mean, if there are new simulpubs that come out on K-manga, and if they communicate what those are, I would be up to read whatever is available for, for free. I'm certainly not against that. And in the same way, like, manga up, it's like, well, I'm definitely interested in using it to check out new stuff. Is it something that I see myself regularly using uh, personally that I do not think... I will, uh, just knowing my habits. I know I won't. Like, you know, I, I jumped off a of manga up for a lot of the same reasons. K-manga is, like, somehow worse, honestly. At least in my opinion. Yeah, their SEO is also not great. Because if I just type into K-manga on Google, like, I get, like, the K-manga app website, and then, like, it's listing on Google Play in the App Store. But I don't get, like, the browser website. So I have to type K-manga Kodansha... <laughs> to get to the browser yeah. site. And it's just little things like that, little steps that make it more frustrating to, <laughs> to read the manga. Even though it's so small, it's so small, but those little things do make a lot of difference in terms of like motivating, <laughs> keeping the enthusiasm motivation of your, your no, audience. Yeah, I was I was trying to look it up earlier while we were talking. Yeah, I, I went through the same thing. I typed in K-Manga. I get the website advertising its app, but I, I have to literally type in K-Manga website and then I got it. Yeah. If I try and type in like a series, like I mentioned Parasite Reversi, like if I try to type in K-Manga Parasite Reversi, it does not show up as one of the first listings in the SAO for me. Yeah. So that's another problem is that they they need to optimize their SEO searches so like these pages are showing up when people search for them. Otherwise, they're going to get turned to the pirate links instead, which is unfortunate. Kodansha, I want to read your stuff. I don't know why this has to be such a process. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Man, we spent a lot of time talking about K-Manga. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, I guess there was going to be a lot to say about it. We we knew that we kind of knew that going in. We'll see how much else we can cover because we do have a lot of other news. And in fact, as besides the manga app news, the other big industry news has to relate to AI and AI's impact on the manga and art world. Now, we'll start off with a story that several content websites like DL, Side, CN, Pixiv, Fanbox, and Fandia have all banned or restricted AI-generated content on their platforms back in early May. Now, they only say that the ban is temporary, but they don't specify how long this ban will last. And on some of these sites, it's for just AI-generated manga and also like CG illustrations, videos, and content. But they still allow for AI assistance on novels and games. But some bans are like outright 
like all AI generated content. Basically, these bans were instated to protect content creators and stem, you know, the large amount of AI content that has been uploaded to these platforms over the past few months that, of course, you know, with the way AI works, sources a lot of its information, how it processes images from like artwork created by other people and just grabbed off the internet willy nilly without any like protections. So yeah. I think that was a smart move for like these sites that are meant to like share and curate like personal artwork to implement. And I think it's a good move in response to the fact that a lot of manga creators, most manga creators, 94% are concerned about AI and the harmful effects it could have on copyright infringement. At least according to a survey done by Artsworkers Japan of about 25,000 creators reported by TBS News Dig. And, you know, a lot of manga creators have had negative experiences with AI. They've seen their art stolen by them, distributed on foreign websites, or having their voices altered by re- by AI and changed as voice changer models. So the Arts Workers Japan Association is strongly recommending government regulations against AI-created works. I'm proposing that should obligatory to display the original data or compensate the original creator when AI work is posted and especially commercially. And all of this leads up to something that, you know, we mentioned that Jump Hus, they have some kind of machinations of plans for growing themselves that involve some unsavory means. And one of those means is employing AI and seeing how they can employ AI in order to speed up the process of production of manga. And they have co-developed a AI tool specifically for manga writing called Comic Co-Pilot. Basically, the idea of this tool is that it uses ChatGPT with an easy to understand Japanese interface to help come up with like things that, you know, usually an editor would help do, like come up with titles and names, shortening dialogue to help make it feed speech balloons. And that might be useful because you can find the best way you can streamline a sentence succinctly to, you know, fit it in to a, a certain space. And so this tool was uh, developed by, you know, the Shonen Jump editors, namely Yutu Mooyama, who manages Shonen Jump Plus and Manga Plus, and Jump Plus editor-in-chief Shuhei Hosano. And they worked with uh, Kenzu, who is a director of the technology company Alu, which mainly deals with AI and NFT projects. I mean, their idea is like, okay, this is just going to kind of ease up on some of the more tedious parts of manga creation, namely the writing part in this case, which is an interesting argument that kind of calls back to Rootport, the publisher of the first commercially sold AI manga just recently, Cyberpunk Peach John. And he said like, oh, uh, using AI will help ease up the tedious parts of uh, creating manga in terms of like the drawing parts. And now the Plus editing team is like, oh, this is going to ease up on the tedious parts of the writing. So, yeah, I mean, we're kind of seeing like, okay, well, AI is kind of being developed here as like a means to kind of make doing the work easier, like some of the more less glamorous parts of the work, I guess. But it is like a slippery scope of like, well, how much are you drawing upon other people's work in order to program to train these AI? Does that run into issues of copyright infringement, particularly when it comes to recreating visual works? You know, how ethical is that? I think that there is like implications of like how it could be used to eliminate certain jobs. Like if this were to be implied, so like, oh, like we can use this tool to like auto translate or auto letter. 
I think that would have pretty damaging effects. I think that it's kind of surprising that an editorial team has come up with this device that you would think, well, if you're basically going to leave a lot of editing duties to this AI tool, well, what does that leave the editor? I mean, this tool still is not comprehensive in terms of what it can do as like an actual human editor can, but it does like kind of open up the door, the nearest box of like being like, well, of thinking like, well, if we are can use this to edit manga, why don't we just completely rely on this? And so it's just a slippery slope in terms of like kind of not discounting the potential of AI as a helpful tool, but to recognize, well, there are dangers in like saying, okay, we can completely rely on AI to cut labor costs. And that's basically kind of the bargaining ship that the companies I think are trying to do is like they say, hey, we can use these AI tools to produce this work without you. So either you reduce the cost of your labor, allow us to pay you less, or we will replace you and you'll be out of work. And I think that's like the main thing that AI development has kind of been used in the entertainment industry. Right now we're seeing that with the WG writer strike. That's the big thing that's been fought over. The thing that the companies are really not wanting to sign off on is like to say that AI cannot be counted as a writer. Like that's kind of the thing that the companies are refusing to agree on that the writers have be fighting against because like the companies want that potential not just because it would save them costs if they could just use AI to just auto-generate content, auto-fill in these creative processes. But that's they know because even if AI can't do that completely, even if we need still humans to actually do most of the work and ba- or babysit the AI, you know, they can use the threat of AI and AI replacing jobs as a way to kind of drive down wages across the board in creative industries. That's what I think the main threat here is that we're seeing like from like so many creative creators in Japan, where we're seeing as a reaction from so many creative staff, uh, is just this kind of like looming threat of like how this can be used not as a tool to like help people, but as a tool a bargaining chip to kind of hold against people. Yeah, that's my thing too, is that Momiyama here is all like, yeah, we could use this as like a tool, basically, we could use we could use this to help us with like the smaller things, which you know, that's like the same argument I see around all the time when it comes to AI, like, oh, you know, it could still be used as a tool is kind of cool. And it's like, yeah, sure. But we need to recognize that like, most people, especially like big companies, like, yeah, it's going to start that way. Like, oh, we could use like a little bit of it, it'll be fine. But then it's just, like you said, it's going to be a slippery slope to go from there. It's just going to go from there to, oh, we're just going to use this as a replacement. People who are in a position to maybe use this as like a cost cutting measure, potentially, like, People in power don't want to just use this as a tool, you know, like, I feel like that's kind of disingenuous, like, we need to recognize that, like, yeah, like you said, there's a real potential danger in this, and people wanting to just use this as a full replacement, you know, and we we need stop gaps to counter that kind of thing. Yeah, I do think that they are more interested not as a tool for creation in itself, but as a tool to cut costs. That is like their main concern. It's like, how can we do things cheaper rather than how can we do things easier? Now, it seems like the perspective in creating this copilot tool is like, well, how can we make things easier? But this can very easily be manipulated into, again, that utter side of it. And if we're not careful, and we have kind of know based on like things that Moyama has said before about what what he wants to do, which and plus in terms of the potential of using AI for translation and stuff like that, that he is, wants to move in the direction of like, oh, well, how can we do things cheaper? 
you know, he positions it as like, oh, this makes things easier, but it's more like this basically makes things cheaper for us. It makes us able to put out more content. It's not really about the quality of that content. It's just the production of more content for less time, less money, certainly less human labor. It's stuff like this that make me kind of uneasy about the idea of using Manga Plus sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Because I really, I really don't want to support things that are looking into basically using more AI than they need to. Yeah, I think so far the strategy is just not panned out. So we see like credited translators and letterers on Manga Plus titles. And again, I think that we drew the line back with like the gangster neighbor one. It's like if the quality of translation is like clearly not up to par because they are cutting corners somewhere, seemingly, then we're not going to give it that time or no, attention. No, yeah. But uh, I'm willing to still, under the current state, continue to follow up on and report on these series so long as like they are done with a good standard of quality. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree with that. And and so far, we haven't totally finished up catching up on even like the Manga Plus Apple Pubs. We're, we're going to hopefully do that next episode. But from what we've been reading so far, nothing has been like as bad as my gangster neighbor so far, which is good. Because that, that's genuinely something I've been dreading ever since we talked about that title in particular was how much longer until like every Manga Plus title is just at this quality, you know? Like that was a genuine fear of mine at one point, which... I still think it's kind of there, but so far, again, all the titles on the app in general haven't reached that quality yet, and hopefully they won't anytime soon. Yes. I had the opportunity at Enemy Central a few weeks ago to attend a very interesting panel by Helen McCarthy on the implications of AI on the manga industry, mentioning that manga by Rootport, that AI-generated manga, before it's kind of a branching point to just talk about the larger implications AI have in terms of like professions, ways that some creators have decided, okay, well, we're in this space where AI is here. How do we work with it? Or how do we like kind of fight against it to kind of protect our own creative work, our own control over the work and i think that there's some interesting examples of like musicians saying like hey you can use ai to imitate my voice but i get royalties if you sell the work commercially perhaps that can be applied into artistic context but then the question comes of how do you track that how do you like navigate these ai programs and what they are pulling from to say like okay you clearly borrowed from this so you need to pay royalties to me for that like that's how you like kind of reasonably put that into practice but yeah i mean just basically when it comes to like the generation of images like the sheer fact of it right now is that you know the works of other artists are being used to like train this technology make it work uh, and they have not been acknowledged or compensated for that and so i like this quote from helen from the panel is that artists are having their pensions eaten by technology and we have to do better to protect them because like ai as a tool can be neutral like ai can be like employed in a neutral way as an assistive tool however like it's it's really up to us to use it ethically and can we trust that can we trust companies to do that themselves do we need to have kind of legislation from a national level, from an international level of what AI ethics are, like how we regulate and restrict how they are used? Do we just vote for our wallets as consumers saying, hey, we don't want to support AI created art or art that has been like interfered too much by AI rather than like human hands? 
you know, I think that Helen makes a good point that from monitors' perspectives, you know, who want to produce work as fast as they can, like they think that the danger AI might have in terms of like, you know, I guess you're going forward is like, you're going to have your big hitters who your artistic talents to like kind of make it big and have their own voice. But you have a lot of people entering the main monitors here who don't make it big who, you know, their works don't get recognized. And those people are in risk, perhaps, of getting exploited, like, especially newcomers, like, who, you know, are not the talents on the, like, say, at Satsuki Fujimoto, who usually would get churns through the process of serializing manga, they could be like forced to use AI to make their manga to just create content that can be posted in the magazines. And that just might be what they are forced to do rather than create their own art or stories to just use AI tools to just break in and survive in the industry. And that seems quite a bleak, bleak future that would really limit the creative expression of a lot of emerging new artists because publishers and can use these AI tools to just basically uh, exploit newbie artists to create cheap filler and advertising for their magazines that, you know, are just there to pad space between like the big name titles from the successful artists. Helen made a response of like, you can bet your life that all over Tokyo publishers are making those calculations. And so this common co-pilot in of itself is seemingly innocuous, like as a tool, but like in terms of larger implications, I think that we have to be skeptical and suspicious about what the companies are working towards in terms of like how they're using AI manga and their creative processes, and then the impact that will have on creative professions in the manga industry. And terms of like labor expectations in terms of compensation expectations yeah put more succinctly we need to keep an eye on this shit yeah ai is going to remain a hot button issue like the technology just is ever evolving so we are definitely going to be talking about this again in the near future i am sure because there's going to be more news there's going to be more technological development it's just growing very fast now we're going to be transitioning on to, well, I guess the AI news was not savory, but like these, these are more unsavory news that have to do with like criminal trials and investigations. This is especially a, a sore spot for the show. Yeah, content warning for this next story, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But we have gotten news that Stefan Koza, a former manga translator on Judy's Kaisen, a lot of other series, you know, has been sentenced they have been given 10 years in jail for like the possession of eight counts of child pornography that they were arrested for back January of last year. I think 2021. 2021. Yeah, it's been, wow, two and a half years to get to this point. But yeah, so he has been sentenced finally. He's giving him in like a 10 years sentence, but it's partially suspended. So for seven years of the sentence, uh, on each count, the sentence is suspended for five years. So basically for five years of the sentence, he's going to be on probation, which will include mental health counseling. He's going to enter complete sex offender treatment. He's going to be allowed to use any device with internet access. He won't have access to any cameras, recording devices. He's going to have to pay for all those costs himself uh, in terms of getting that stuff. And then he must register himself as a federal sex offender in Virginia. But basically the jail time he'll be serving will be uh, the remaining three years of his sentence. But any time he's already spent in jail is going to be credited in those three years. 
So we don't know how much time he has served in jail, but if he has been like imprisoned for all this time since his arrest till now, I guess that he's already served two to two and a half years of that three years in jail time. We don't just have clear acknowledgement of like how long he was in jail for, whether he's been on probation and stuff like that. But that's basically kind of where things stand uh, in terms of like updates about like what's going on with that guy. At least he has received some pretty substantial penalties. I mean, not being able to access the internet, that kind of destroys a lot of opportunities in terms of work. Certainly it'll not allow him to re-enter the Animog community. So I think that, yeah, I am glad to see like some pretty strong punitive punishments actually be imposed, even if like the actual jail time he'll be serving is nebulous. There are a lot of like descriptions on his freedom, a lot of punishment that has been imposed. So I think that is good. And considering that, you know, there are a lot of cases in which, you know, sex offenders are not punished accordingly to their crimes. Like in, as we reported with the case of, of course, Nova Yerowatsky, you know, that's, it's at least good to see some repercussion. It's a low bar for sure, but this is much better than, like you said, with other cases we've seen on, especially the Japanese side of the manga industry. Yeah, he, he deserves everything that's coming to him. Fuck this guy, seriously. Yeah. Hopefully this will be the last time we will need to discuss them on the show because it seems like, you know, they got their sentence. Hopefully they will not be in the news and just kind of disappear from public consciousness and I. But yeah, we just hopefully can wash our hands of him. I'd very much like to. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with you there. But another criminal investigation is still ongoing, and that is the Kyoto animation arsonist case. The main trial will is finally being scheduled for September 5th, with a verdict planned to be announced by January 25th, 2024. There's going to be 32 total hearings. Hearings are going to be held two to three times a week, 10 hearings each of the months, September and October. November and December, there are going to be five to six hearings each month. They're currently already in pretrial proceedings. Yeah, there's a lot of investigation, a lot of like hearings and trials to kind of decide on this case. But yeah, this has been another thing that's been a long time coming because, you know, this incident, like the Kyoto Animation Fire happened in July 2019. So here we are like four years later, they're finally getting to like the main trial. And yeah, this has been a long process because the suspect was formally indicted back in December 2020. So it's been taken a long time to get to this point where finally the trial is happening and finally we're going to get a verdict here. I'm sure we're going to have a guilty verdict, but it's been just a long time coming. So it's been interesting and we'll see how the hearings turn out and whether there'll be any surprises with it. But just another piece of news about an ongoing criminal investigation case to check up on that hopefully it looks like we're not quite done with it yet but maybe in the near future it'll be case closed yeah um same thoughts as our previous story fuck this guy hope he gets what's coming to him seriously so our last piece of interesting news uh turns our topic in a lighter direction thankfully basically which is just to report that right stuff coo they have just left Right Stuff uh, after been with the company since 2014. They've left us on March 31st. And yeah, they were working with the company for like nearly a decade. But uh, we don't really know why yet. 
that she has left. But this is kind of following, of course, Right Stuff and Crunchyroll kind of being consolidated. Uh, basically, Right Stuff being bought out by Crunchyroll. Last August, it seems that there is going to be some turnover. And I guess that this may be kind of the first instance of that of turns like a high level like kind of VP executive position kind of being let go as like that integration continues. That's just a speculation at this point. We don't kind of know like the full reason that she has left, but I wouldn't be surprised to see kind of more people who are heavily involved with right stuff kind of leave the company in, in the near future as like it gets further and further integrated into control. So I think that brings us to the end of our industry news. And I think we still have some time to go over our licensing lists because there were a couple of licenses that came out last month and all interesting ones that we wanted to highlight, some titles to be excited for. Colton, would you like to highlight your favorites first? Sure, I could do mine first. So yeah, I think I've got about eight titles that I want to highlight if I'm counting these right. But yes, uh, just to start off, Yen Press came out with some licenses recently. I want to highlight at least two of those. The first of which being Lord Hades's Ruthless Marriage from Yuho Ueji. I don't think there were release dates for these Yen Press titles in particular, not just yet. But yes, this is a series in which Hades refuses to give up his life as a single god, unconvinced that love and marriage are worth the hassle. But when Eros shoots him with an arrow of love, will he be able to avoid falling for the next person he sees? And so, yeah, I just thought this series had a premise with at least some comedic potential. I want to see Hades fall in love. I think I think that could be fun. You don't read Lord Olympus? Yeah, I, I guess, the, yeah. That's a fair point, yeah. See, that's my initial thoughts. It's like, oh, this is definitely a manga that I could see made in reaction to something like Lore Olympus and just how popular the Greek gods and myths are now. And like, especially in terms of reimagining for like kind of romantic drama contexts. It certainly does not have the distinctive style of uh, Lore Olympus, but I do think that if you are a fan of like kind of moody, Michonin bachelor Hades, <laughs> this is another manga that can uh, tickle your fancy. If you don't get enough Lore Olympus in your life. Yeah, honestly, I, I didn't even think about that connection. That's totally true and makes a lot of sense. I guess we don't really know what the tone of the series is going to be. I just assumed this was going to be something more comedic, but it could also not be that. Judging from just the cover art alone, it could be something a little more somber and moody. You never know. But um, yeah, again, I maybe that's why I was sort of like enamored by this premise in particular, because I, I've read a little bit of Lore of Olympus, and I think it's pretty interesting and fun and cute. And I also really like I really like the style of that comic in particular. I need to read more of it, actually. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe that's why I was so enamored by this. But yeah, I would be interested in checking this out, see if it's in any way comparable at all, or maybe it ends up being its own thing. You never know. The other Yen Press title I want to highlight is a manhwa that's actually going to be a part of their Ize Press line with The Villainous Turns the Hourglass from Ant Studio and Sansobi, in all caps, I think that's how you pronounce that, in which Arya faces death for misdeeds, but her stepsister Miel revealed that she manipulated Arya. Instead of dying, Arya is sent back in time with a mysterious hourglass. Now Arya has one goal, to destroy Miel's life. And uh, this is one of two... I think like time loop villainous titles I have in my licensing highlights, which which means I I think at some point I need to just bite the bullet and just like read one of these eventually, because clearly I'm very drawn to this like specific subgenre of a of a subgenre, I guess, when it comes to like Isekai stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm really for some reason I'm really drawn to these like specific premises. I, I just need to read one of these at some point. 
Absolutely. I mean, there are so many villainous titles. We could definitely do villainous, like, themed months or episodes. Oh, God, yeah. Especially, like, right now, like, there's so many villainous series now that it's a subgenre, like, as you said, that has subgenres, like, the specific time loop gimmick. So I'm very much <laughs> intrigued by how this villainous genre continues to evolve, but also how this specific time loop style of villainous title positions itself. And this one sounds like a, a good iteration of it. I really like the artwork of it. So yeah, I would be curious to check it out. And another new uh, It's a Press title as well. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I think this and the one I'm going to bring up in a little bit here, I think this makes four time loop villainous titles I've mentioned on the show over the past couple months. I'm sure there'll be a fifth one in the future. But for now, that's about it for everything I want to highlight from Yen Press. Next up, I want to jump to Seven Seas with two titles in particular that I want to highlight. The first being The Condemned Villainous Goes Back in Time and Aims to Become the Ultimate Villain. Again, I'm sure you, you, you can see where this is going. Uh, This is a manga from Bakufu Narayama, Ebi Sushi and Rato Kitaguni. Uh, this will be coming out physically and digitally in April 2024, uh, with the light novel series coming physically in March 2024 with an earlier digital release to come before that in which Claudia, daughter of a duke, is tricked by her wicked half-sister and sold off to a brothel. Unwilling to accept defeat, Claudia uses the tools at her disposal and becomes one of the most successful sex workers in her new home. That's when she dies, only to be thrust back in time to age 14. Gone is the gullible girl of her academy days now that she's got street-savvy and hard-won seductive skills. It's Claudia's turn to play the evil villainess, and there's nothing she won't do to protect what's hers. So yeah, not only is this another time loop villainous story, but one where the protagonist has to use her feminine wiles to get what she wants. And depending on how that kind of thing is written, I do find that kind of character interesting. Like, for instance, you know, I like characters like, you know, Fujiko from the Lupin franchise and Nami from One Piece, you know, those kind of like archetypes, you know, when they're written well, I think those kinds of characters can be really interesting and fun to explore. So yeah, I definitely want to look into reading this at some point. Yeah, I like the villainous stories where they're like, oh, no, I'm not going to avoid the, the bad end by being a better person than the actual villainous character. Like, I like the one where it's like the villainous is like, no, I'm going to lean into being a villainous. <laughs> yeah, what if I was just bad? What if I was just a villain? <laughs> Yeah, so I like that. And in this case, it's not a like, it's kind of to the game world kind of thing. But I do like this idea of like, basically, it's almost like if Cinderella, you know, ended up like having to go through an even worse life being sold off to a brothel, and then she gets another chance at her childhood again. She's like, okay, well, I'm not going to be a kind, sweet person anymore. I'm just going to use my scheming and savviness and seductiveness to make it to the top, you know, get what's mine. So I like that angle of it too. So yeah, I think it sounds like a fun, sexily empowering time, hopefully. So I think that should be very interesting to read. For sure, for sure. The other Seven Seas title I want to highlight is My Cat is Such a Weirdo, a manga from Tamako Tamagoyama that'll be coming out physically and digitally this October, which is a full-color love letter to the always cute, sometimes exasperating, and honestly just plain weird behavior of cats. Favoring a cheap scratching pad over a luxurious cat tower, lending their help, quote-unquote, when it's time to fold the laundry by sitting on it, and zooming around the house at odd times for no reason. Cat lovers are sure to adore this comic about the everyday silliness of living with cats. And uh, I'm sure I've probably mentioned it on the podcast before, 
I'm much more of a dog person than I am a cat person. Like, I don't hate cats per se, but I don't know. I, dogs, I've always just kind of gravitated more towards. But I am I am not immune to, like, how funny... I genuinely think, out of anything in this world of ours, there's nothing that makes me laugh harder than, like, when cats just kind of randomly run around the house for, like, no reason. And they run, like, just as fast as they can. It always makes me lose my shit. So when I was reading, when I was reading the, the, the copy, the premise of this and it mentioned that that aspect of cats like i just i could just imagine in my mind like yeah i've seen that before and it's always hilarious it's never not funny but yeah like you know even for someone like me who doesn't like love cats as much as everyone else this is still like a cute series that like i wouldn't mind checking out at some point yeah i think it's another cute cat manga to add to the pile uh the litter of cat manga that we have to kind of wade through at one point and do a cat manga themed episode or month. Uh, same with, with dog manga. There's just just so many, so so many. I really can't wait till we actually pull the trigger and like do one of these eventually. That's gonna be fun. Yeah, th- this is this is definitely one we're gonna have to throw on the pile. We'll see if we get to it. There's so much cat manga to choose from. It's it's impossible to cover all of them in one episode. That's not something we could do. Yeah. Hey, this might make the cut. You never know. We'll see in the future. But until then, that's about it for everything I want to highlight from Seven Seas in particular. I'm going to move on to J Novel Club. And uh, I, I think they actually have the most titles out of anything in my selection. And then I got one more publisher after that. But for now, I'm going to start by mentioning, boy, pray for me on this one. I'm giving the disgraced noble lady I rescued a crash course in naughtiness. I'll spoil her with delicacies and style to make her the happiest woman in the world. I can't do it with these two sentence titles, but that that's just me. Um, <laughs> this, this is a light novel written by Fukuda Sametaro and illustrated by Sakura Miwabe, in which, betrayed by her betrothed and bullied by her family, a young noble woman named Charlotte Evans flees her home and stumbles into the hands of Alan Crawford, a misanthropic wizard known as the Dark Lord who lives in a solitary mansion deep in the forest. When he hears the sad story of Charlotte's pitiful life, he discovers a new calling, giving her a crash course in all things naughty, from late-night feasts of cake and ramen to sleeping in until the afternoon, from dressing up in cute outfits to fun-filled days at the beach. Alan is determined to pamper Charlotte with every irresistible pleasure imaginable. Will he succeed in healing her emotional trauma and building up her confidence? And is there anything special between this odd couple? Here begins the tale of a wicked sorcerer who leads an innocent girl astray down the path of pure self indulgence indulgence. And yeah, I thought this sounded like a pretty cute series. Like, I like the idea of this guy being like, I'm just gonna spoil the shit out of her. But like, honestly, after hearing what she's gone through, she deserves it. Like, there are just some times where you just kind of want to indulge in like the little things or like indulge in as much slovenly behavior as possible as maybe like a, and you know, for some people, this could be like a mental health day, you know, like sometimes you just kind of want to get away from everything. Like this is, this is clearly like a form of escapism, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. And I, I kind of like that sort of aspect about it. And I think something that sounds so like silly and how like indulgent and slovenly Charlotte can potentially become, you know, I think could also potentially be very healing, I guess. And that that's that's weirdly a journey that I am interested in like going on, I guess. I, I want to see where this goes. Yeah, I would agree with that too. All right. But next up... <laughs> Oh, actually, no, yeah, I, I think that, no, I'm sorry, I forgot, there's a, th- there's a third time loop villainous story I want to talk about, with Stuck in a Time Loop, When All Else Fails, Be a Villainous. 
This is another light novel written by uh, Sora Hinokage and illustrated by Tsukasa Kiryu, in which Celine Vixent has died nine times. In every life, she's been betrayed by her fiancé, abused by her noble family, and laid low by an untimely end, all because she was unable to awaken the power of sun, a so-called protective gift passed down in her family. Yet Celine is determined to escape this cursed time loop, and after her night demise, abandons any further attempts to be a good girl. She awakens to the power of Shadow, seen as an ominous portent of misfortune, and fully embraces her new life as a villainess. But Selene's dark path is about to take another strange turn when Dear Veld, the former crown prince, reveals that he knows all about her time loop. He even offers his help, but under one condition. She must kill him in exchange. With her newfound villainy, can Selene break free of this endless time loop once and for all? So yeah, again, this is pretty similar to the earlier title we talked about from Yen Press. Though I do wonder, and this is just a prediction of mine, I wonder if the protagonist of this story in particular, whereas like the protagonist of the Kaden villainess, you know, seems a lot more comfortable with the idea of just like going full evil and just using whatever she has at her disposal. Here in Stuck in a Time Loop, I wonder if there's going to be more of an internal conflict of like, oh, this is the path I should go, but like how far down this path do I want to go like when she is faced with this ultimatum of you have to kill me before like I help you whatever that that those are the terms that you have to agree to I wonder if there's going to be a point where it's like I don't know if I want to go this far like I wonder if there's going to be like more internal conflict here than I guess in the former I guess is what I'm wondering yeah I think that opens up for interesting potential for some interesting internal conflict Mm -hmm, for sure I think that's what stuck out to me about this compared to the former title I mentioned Otherwise, they're both kind of the same conceptually, but not entirely. They're like a little different. I'm, I'm sure in how they're like, I think it's the execution that's going to like set them apart from each other. Otherwise, yeah, again, once again, this is another title in the time loop villainous sub genre that for some reason I just can't get away from <laughs> when I start picking licenses. But anyway, yes, uh, just to move on to the next title, we have La Ragazza, Living with Francesca, which is a manga by Hamita, in which Yuji is an artist working out of a modest Tokyo apartment when he suddenly receives a letter from his mother informing, not asking, him about an Italian girl coming to live with him while she attends university. Supposedly, the two have a history, but forgotten memories lend little in the way of preparing either party for the inevitable awkwardness to come. Left with little to say in the matter, Yuji's bachelorhood comes to an end, and his life with Francesca begins. And uh, I picked this in particular because I, and I'm sure there are probably other manga that have this, but I feel like this is the first manga I've come across that has like genuine Italian representation that so far seemingly isn't just like the usual stereotypes, you know, like, I don't know, again, like this feels like the kind of thing that like there's probably more of and I just don't know it, but this is the first one I've come across personally. And I don't know, like that in particular kind of like stood out to me. And I I don't know, I I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Only I Know That This World Is A Game by Ichizen, with original work credited to Usber, in which one day Soma Sagara, a college student and hardcore gamer who puts his hobby above everything else, finds himself sucked into his current game of choice, New Communicate Online, aka the Catfolk Realm. Side note, I am not crazy about the name. But again, that's just me. Doesn't roll off the tongue very well. Um, But what seems like a dream come true could easily turn into an unmitigated tragedy, as the game is infamous for being a buggy mess coded by malicious developers. Robbed of his ability to save, reload, or access any of the game's features, Soma must take on the catfolk realm with nothing but his wits and in-depth knowledge of how the game works. Bugs and all. 
Follow along as he interacts with various NPCs, breaks quests, and glitches his way to success in a world where a single game over means certain death. And yeah, this definitely stood out to me because, again, the conceit of this is another sort of Sword Art Online-ish premise, in concept anyway. But this time, not only are you trapped in a game, but you have to use the game's glitches to your advantage. I really like that idea, and I don't... Again, this is another thing that I'm sure maybe has been done in other manga, and I just don't know it. But this is the first time I've come across a manga involving this sort of gimmick that like, I can remember anyway. And I, I think that's the thing that like stood out to me about this and maybe actually want to like check it out eventually. And that about does it for all the J Novel Club licenses I want to highlight. Last up is one title I want to highlight from Kodansha with A Kingdom of Quartz from BOMBHAT in all caps. This will be coming out physically in English in spring 2024. I'm not sure if there's a digital release for this already or if that's coming, but it's coming out physically. That's all I know. In which A Kingdom of Quartz is the story of elegant creatures with magnificent wings and peerless strength who, by the goddess's will, protect the Kingdom of Quartz from infiltration by demonic forces. These are the heroes known as Angels. A little girl named Blue, who was born with mysterious black wings, spends every waking moment dreaming of becoming an angel herself. Then one day, Blue meets a prince and the cogs for fate twist and heave, enmeshing her in tragedy and adventure. And I'll be honest, like, the premise for this, I think, is, I think is okay. Like, the premise didn't stand out to me so much as, uh, I guess this manga was written in English first and then released in Japanese, at least according to the article on ANN, which I thought was really interesting. I don't come across very many series like that, if at all, so... I don't I thought that little detail was interesting, but otherwise this seems like it could be like a pretty cool fantasy adventure romance kind of thing, possibly. Hmm. Yeah, I mean it looked interesting for sure, but yeah. I, I do think that's it's also interesting the publication detail behind it that's originally published in English first, so that's curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to learn more about that in particular, like, I guess why that choice was made. Like, what are the what are the uh, circumstances behind that? I just think that's a very interesting choice. It makes me wonder if, like, Beaumont's original, like, English version is going to be published or if it's going to be, like, lo- relocalized. So it was written in English, he translated it for Japanese, and then, like, the Kodansha say editing team will retranslate it into English. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how they approach it. Or at the very least, like, if they do release the original English version of this, maybe they'll, like, touch it up a bit, work out the kinks, you know, in case there's anything, like, grammatically wrong or, like, maybe something's not translated. I, I don't know. Just stuff like that. Maybe touch it up, like, just a little bit if, if it needs it. But yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting to see how they release this. I guess what the North American re- release of this will look like, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, But yeah, that's really about it for my licenses. And um, once again, I got to read these villainous stories, I guess. They keep keep popping up in my licensing highlights and feel like I need to do something about that eventually. But uh, yeah, other than that, I I think I'm pretty confident in my picks anyway. I thought they were pretty interesting. And Lum, I'm interested in seeing and hearing uh, what your picks were. Yeah, there are a couple of titles that I also found pretty intriguing i'd like to start off though from an announcement from dark horse that they are indeed going to be re-releasing the original trigon manga in hardcover editions deluxe hardcover editions akin to the berserk hardcovers and the helsing hardcovers these will encapsulate both the original trigon manga and trigon maximum they're going to be in 7 by 10 page formats the trigon deluxe edition which is going to be you know an omnibus of like all the trigon manga that's going to be like over 600 pages 
pitches. And then, of course, the maximum volumes. They're basically two and one, so two each. Uh, basically, average about 600 pages each. And yeah, the first of the Trigon Deluxe Editions will come out in December 5th in bookstores. And then the Trigon Maximum Deluxe Editions will launch starting in April 2024. So, of course, a lot of demand for Trigon reprints. And this makes sense as a next step, you know, because they already had done singles, they already had done omnibuses, so hardcover re-releases, that seems the way to go, like how they've done with Berserk and Helsing. So glad that they have taken advantage of the resurgence of popularity of Trigun in the wake of the anime. And yeah, I'm very keen to pick up these hardcover volumes, because even though I do own all of Trigun and on those form, these hardcover releases are pretty beautiful and pretty nice to look at. So I'm definitely keen to check those out. And it's great to just have Trigun in more accessible in print because Star Horse had let the series kind of be out of print for so long. Oh my God. Yeah. Like this was a series because um, at one point I was trying to collect Trigun in print, but I let time, you know, t- as it is with some stuff I do collect, I let too much time pass by to the point where it's like, oh yeah, I should probably get back to collecting these. And the next time I tried to, most of it was out of print and I couldn't find it for, you know, a reasonable price, unfortunately. So because of that, I haven't been able to finish my collection, but maybe I could I could just pick up these Omnibus editions, honestly, because like, I'm sure just like the Berserk hardcover editions, these will be just as good. Yeah, of course, you know, these deluxe hardcovers are going to be pricey, oh, yeah. like probably $50 bucks, but you know, you can buy them. A little bit discounted on right stuff, or you can wait for sales. But the main thing is that it's a more accessible way to buy Trigun now than like trying to hunt down some of these out of print volumes. Yeah, and plus, I'm assuming there won't be as many volumes of this as there are with like Berserk. At least I don't think so. Yeah, no, there are definitely going to be less volumes. Like there'll be eight volumes total since they're doing two at once because there are 14 maximum volumes, so seven of those plus the one for the original Trigun. So yeah, eight books total. Okay, that's like almost half of Berserk what's out now then. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. So hopefully it won't break the bank as much. (laughs) But yeah, no, this this is really cool and I, I really can't wait to get these eventually. Oh, yes. Speaking of releases celebrating classic manga franchises or manga series, I'm going to move on to a Yen Press book now. And Yen Press is going to be releasing Fruits Basket, the complete Natsuki Takaya illustrations book. It is a book commemorating the anime adaptation of Fruits Basket. It has special illustrations and author commentary from Takaya Sensei in the book. And it's just one big omnibus volume of just like special illustrations from the manga and the anime and stuff like that. So yeah, as a Fruits Basket fan, as a fan of Natsuki Takaya's art, I'm definitely keen to check this out and add it to my shelf of Takaya works, which I'm hoping to be one day comprehensive in terms of like having older stuff, but uh, just need to buy a few more things. So and this will be one of those things to add to my shelf. Now to move on to some other Yen titles, particularly some that I think are your at least Yuri adjacent. Uh, we got the Kiss, the Scars of the Girls by Aya Haruna. This is set when in a forest accounting for girls where all the students share a secret, they're vampires. But to learn without attracting human attention, the maidens forge bloody bonds of sisterhood. And what fate will these ties bring? So, yeah, if you're fine of like vampire, you know, schoolgirl manga, like Vampires from Dempa, this sounds like another one that's very similar. And again, I'm getting, I don't know if this is your, but I'm getting Gary vibes from the cover. I'm getting Gary vibes from the idea of bloody bonds of sisterhood. So, yeah, you know, I am curious. Either way, even if it's not, I am definitely curious. 
in terms of like other romantic manga from Yen Press that I'm intrigued by. They've licensed 15 Minutes Before We Really Date by Perico. Uh, this manga is about like two people kids who have been like childhood friends for 10 years. And then with their high school graduation fast approaching, they decided to make a decision to date just on a whim. And then 15 minutes before things were a little more serious, is their friendship going to blossom into love? So I think that's a cute story about you know, two people knowing each other for so long. They decide to go out and date and they discover, hey, maybe we do have deeper feelings and friendship with each other. I think that sounds like a really sweet story. I think the cover looks really cute. And yeah, I think that just sounds like a very sweet, sweet series to check out if you're a good rom-com fan. And it's finished in Japan uh, with about six volumes too. So it's also not a terribly like long series either. So next, I'm going to move to some Seven Seas titles. And uh, we're going to actually go back on the Yuri train with How Do I Get Together with My Childhood Friend by Sue Yasika. And this series is going to come out in March 2024. It's about two friends. And I'm speaking of childhood friends. Two friends who have been inseparable since elementary school, but now they're in high school. And Minami, you know, one of our protagonists, she can't accept their friends. Yuzu may someday get a boyfriend. How come a random guy gets to wake her up in the morning, feed her lunch, take baths with her, and it doesn't take long for Manami to realize that her feelings can't quite be described as friendship anymore. How could she get Yuzu to see her the same way? So again, that's another, you know, cute manga about childhood friends now in high school years, like kind of realizing they might have a feeling for each other. In this case, it may start out as one-sided from Manami's part, but it's also kind of her realizing that, oh, I'm not just friends with this person. I love this person, especially because if she's queer, there's going to be extra, you know, things she's going to come into her own having to work through, like in that process of coming out to both herself and now to her friend, confronting these feelings. So I think that, you know, this series positions itself, the cover looks like it's going to be just a cute, goofy rom-com. There's a lot of interesting ways the story can handle this take on childhood friends kind of confessing feelings to each other and then someone like kind of realizing, oh, I I love this person and also, oh, I'm gay. So yeah, I'm definitely curious about it and intrigued by it. Another interesting like kind of romantic drama story this is more romantic dramatary comes from Kokoa, and this is i want you to make me beautiful this will come out physically digitally in april 2024 this is about an oh well an office lady named kana who you know has had it with her boyfriend after discovering he's been cheating on her she breaks up with him but he insults her looks and bruises her self-confidence on top of breaking her heart and then she runs into an old classmate who's an androgynous man ichikawa and his gorgeous appearance is very different from the you know boyish classmate that she used to know that he used to be for their school days but not only does she ask Yuzuki to help her become just as pretty as he is but she ends up pretending to be Yuzuki's girlfriend so as things get hot and heavy between them can this beautiful romance blossom from this fake relationship and yeah I think this sounds like an interesting story about challenging standards ideas of beauty in terms of a gendered lens like and also a way to kind of explore a character kind of building up the self-confidence in herself and how she presents to the world again i think that it's interesting that there's this contrast that is being drawn attention to between how ijikawa used to present himself and now he probably presents himself now and i think that could explore interesting ideas of like gender presentation through appearance makeup so i think that there's some interesting things that are kind of thrown this way in this this synopsis that makes me curious about it and yeah i'm definitely keen to check it out and see like how it explores some of these potential themes 
Next 70s title that I want to give mention to is a Healer for the Shadow Hero by Q Asagishi and Akko. This is getting into more steamship territory. This is going to come out in February 2024. It's about a servant girl who, you know, costs us past little war hero in this fantasy world called the Shadow Hero. And he has an incurable disease. She has the power to cure it. But the catch is that she can only heal her patient by losing her virginity to him. So can the two possibly enter such an intimate arrangement? And so this sounds like a pretty raucous sex comedy fantasy story. You know, what a ridiculous premise of like, oh, I I can only heal people by having sex with them. Or at least this specific person I heal by having sex with. So I would be curious to see how this is handled. But I think that it, it could be, since the perspective is definitely on her and then how she is reacting to this, it's going to navigate kind of these feelings of like a desire in this territory, probably in a better way than it may be by male perspective, very different perspective. So yeah, I'm just going to be curious to see, like hear word about how this one turns out. And the last seven seas title I want to highlight would be Hinaki's Becoming a Princess Knight and Working at a Yuri Brotel. This is actually also a, a ghost ship title, but this also might be one of those weird in-betweens between ghost ship and steamship. A steamy ghost ship, as you will. Because, okay, this is about a guy. He's a middle-aged man. He's a secretary of a politician. And then in another world, a princess knight has been captured by an enemy nation. And then her soul is removed. And then Naruse, or the protagonist's soul, is summoned into her empty husk of a body. So now he's taken over the form of this beautiful young princess. And he's doomed to her fate, being sold to a Yuri Bratel, where he has to service the female customers. And he's determined to learn more about Raina's body and life before he took it over. Uh, well, he finds a way to work the grind in her body. Uh, <laughs> and that's a pun courtesy of you, uh, courtesy of Senses. I just think this is another one of those ridiculous premises that, you know, it kind of takes the isekai trope and then gender swap trope. And then it also adds like, oh, but, you know, she also has to work in a Yuri Bartel. So there's, I think that's just going to be kind of goofy, edgy fun. But like, there could be some potential interesting stuff that it could do in terms of like navigating like ideas, uh, gender and stuff. I, I wouldn't expect it, but I do think that the cover art kind of gives away so that, oh, the tone will be a little bit amusing. And it seems like like it just could be just kind of a silly fun time so if you're looking for more etchy yuri that kind of has a fun spin on it and then maybe that has some trans themes that you could like kind of place on it then this might be something that will intrigue you and next i will go on to talk about a kodansha title that i am interested in and that is mermaid melody peachy peachy pitch aqua this actually just came out kodansha digital by the time you're listening to this it's from pink hanamori it's the sequel to the original mermaid melody peachy peachy pitch manga and it's about a girl, Lukia, who turns 17. She moves to a seaside town. She saves a handsome surfer from drowning on the beach. And then she discovers the next day he's not only her classmate, he insists that he was saved by a mermaid. And so kind of the twist here is that this Lukia character, you know, her name is very similar to the protagonist in the previous Mermaid Melly manga, Lucia, who was a mermaid princess. And she had the secret, like she couldn't tell that the boy she liked, you know, that she was a mermaid or she would turn into sea foam, like in the original, like, Little Mermaid legend. 
or fable. So yeah, I think this is interesting kind of twist on it is that in this case, this character, she isn't a mermaid, but like the guy she saved, just like the protagonist, like the male bird interviews her in just like in the middle of mermaid legend, he thinks he was saved by a mermaid. And I'm going to be interested to see how like mermaids do tie into this. But I think that's an interesting kind of wrinkle in it. And yeah, I just thought that this sounded interesting to me just based on the premise, the different take it is doing compared to the original series. And yeah, it looks cute. But the final title I want to highlight is actually not quite a manga, but it is manga inspired and it's related to a favorite franchise of ours. This is the Saint Seiya Nice and Desert Time Odyssey comic by Jerome Alke. Uh, it's a French artist who is making a lot of like manga spin-off adaptations. Like did one he did a series on Captain Harlock and he also has a series on Knights of the Zodiac and that will be finally getting published here by a blaze later this year. I was pretty interested in that. This is gonna come out on August 16th, 2023. The premise of this is that basically the Bronze Knights 17 are kinda called back into action when Kronos, the god of time, has set sight on joining the other gods of Olympus, so he conducts a doomsday clock that allows him to change the past, present, and future. So it puts the knights and the earth itself in jeopardy. So yeah, I just think that it's cool to see that this Saint Seiya spin-off comic has finally gotten a license for North American release by Ablaze. I think that the cover art by Lady is beautiful. I do like Jerome O'Keefe's arc uh, in the interiors. I liked what I had read of his Harlock comic. So, you know, as an even bigger Seiya fan, I'm definitely keen and curious to check out this comic when it comes out. And it's just nice to see more Saint Seiya comics CCS stuff continue to be published. Even if the movie didn't like make big waves, it's good to see still we're getting more things related to the franchise over here. For sure. But yeah, uh, I mean, if that's about it for your licenses, I think we're definitely running over time. Um, there is one thing I do want to update about because we did talk about it in our last news episode is that because uh, we talked about last time that Slam Dunk is getting a North American theatrical release over here. And, you know, just a quick update on that. It is going to be coming out here from G Kids, and uh, at least according to the AMC Theaters website, it looks like we have a date of July 28th, so that's going to be when it's coming out here in North America. I don't think we know whether this is going to be, I mean, it's probably going to be a limited release, but like, we don't know that for sure just yet. I'm sure it'll be in theaters for like a couple days, or hey, hopefully it'll be in theaters maybe for more than a week, you never know, but I, I kind of doubt it. But Lum... I know that people who are going to Anime Expo could see it uh, that much earlier. Yeah, because it will be premiering at Anime Expo first. That will be the North American premiere date. It's going to air at Anime Expo on July 3rd at noon Pacific time. It's going to be, of course, in the main events hall because it's going to be a big event. And if you're one of the first 2,500 guests, you'll even receive a free a souvenir booklet for the film. So yeah, if you're going to be at Anime Expo, you will have the opportunity to see the first Slam Dunk first. And definitely, as someone who's planning to go to Anime Expo this year, he's going to report on it. This is going to be one of the highlight events for me, and I'm definitely very excited to see the film at AX with the crowd there, and hopefully tell you all about it later. 
So very, very excited to get an early peek at the first game night before it's water, North American theatrical release. And I too hope though that G-Kids does invest in a decent distribution for the film, like in terms of like keeping it in theaters for a couple days or at least like a full week with multiple show times. I don't know if they will do a limited or just a couple days uh, select times or a full release, but I would like to see it. One, because I, I do think that this, I mean, first of all, it just makes it easier because then if it's not an event release, then it counts on subscription plans so I can use A-list to see it. Also, you know, I do think that with the attention this film has gotten in Japan uh, and internationally, I would like to just see maybe some investment, some trust, maybe that this could get an audience here. Of course, I do think that might be a little too optimistic uh, in terms of Slam Dunk's awareness and popularity over here. But I would like to see that. I think that it could have the potential to draw a crowd, at least in a limited limited release in terms of theater count capacity, but still like, uh, you know, broad, continuous, like multi-day release. Yeah, yeah. I hope this isn't just like a one-day release or something like that. I see this being like probably like a weekend thing. Like it'll probably be in theaters from the 28th to maybe the 31st. Like basically at the end of the month, it'll be in theaters and maybe that'll be it. But again, we don't we don't know that for sure yet. Obviously, when we get updates, we'll let you guys know. I'm really excited to see this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like with so much enthusiasm, so much like incredible success it's had overseas. Like I am very curious about the movie. And yeah, it just seems like a fun way to experience like a match with Sato on the big screen. They finally animated it for this film. So that's going to be exciting. Even in a condensed film context, it's also tying in with the origin story for the characters. But yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. I'm, I'm so excited. But yeah, I think that's about all the time we have. Again, I did say at the top of the show that some pieces of news were going to require more discussion than others. There was just so much to talk about with Viz manga and especially K manga in particular that, again, we kind of knew going in that like there was a good chance that like that was going to take up a lot of our time. But even though we didn't get to like every single news piece we had on the dock, like I still think we covered like a lot of good, very topics of discussion, I think. I think this was a good news episode. Yeah, I thought we covered some pretty good topics and had some good discussions on them. So I am okay with us being a little incomplete, though. That means that's definitely going to leave us more to cover next time. So we'll see how it works out. But it feels like we have not been able to cover the entire swat of news that comes out for the entirety of this year. We've always had things that we've had to leave off. And that just speaks to just how much is going on in the manga anime world these days, how much news is coming out. We just do not have the, the time, the capacity to cover all of it. But in being selective of what we choose to talk about i'm glad that we had some good conversations here today on the topics we chose to cover for sure for sure and hey yeah thank you guys so much for listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed our discussions on on just all the anime and manga news that has been happening over the past month especially with again the the really big pieces of news such as all the uh manga subscriptions that have uh, come out recently over the past month and yeah i guess uh join us next time as we attempt to catch up on the rest of all the Cyber pub manga that we have to talk about. If you listened to our last episode, you know that we really wanted to try to cover every manga plus title that has come out over the past like three months or whatever, but uh, we just didn't, we just couldn't. Um, but we're hopefully going to finish those up next time, along with finally getting to like this new batch of Shonen Jump stuff, along with, you know, all the other Shonen Jump related stuff that's not in the Shonen Jump, like like the main weekly Shonen Jump magazine. Basically a lot of Shonen Jump stuff that we have to cover next time, but uh, I'm really looking forward to this next half half of our Cyberpub titles because uh, I've been hearing really good things about a lot of the titles that we have to cover next time. 
Oh yeah, we definitely have a lot to talk about with the new batch of Shonen Jump series as well as the remaining Manga Plus titles. A lot to get caught up on in terms of Cyber Pubs. So there's just so much going on in terms of new manga being published, in terms of manga news. But we are going to do our best to keep reporting and giving you our thoughts here on the show. For sure. And I guess until next episode, we're going to let you guys know where you could find us and uh, where you could follow the podcast and whatnot. Starting with my good friend Lum, where can the good people find you? You. you can find me at Lum Romayasha on Twitter. It's Lum Romayasha in a variety of places like I'm sure Relation, Annie List, Letterboxd. Wherever there is a Lum Romayasha, you can find me there by that name. You can also read my reviews and interviews and all sorts of stuff on our website, mongomerics.com. We got a lot of reviews planned. We got a lot of interviews planned to be transcribed and published. So look forward to more stuff on there. You can also find the other podcasts I do on there, Lum Squad, the USA Oxford Focus Podcast where we discuss the wonderful lucky world of Gumka Nagashi's classic sci-fi rom-com. Having a lot of fun discussing the manga as well as the reboot, the classic anime, the movies. We have a lot of backlog episodes we need to get out and we have a lot of plans for future episodes. It's a great time to listen to. So definitely check us out on there as we release new episodes and also look forward to more episodes hopefully coming soon this summer. And, you know, if you are missing episodes, definitely check out our Patreon because there are still episodes on the Patreon that have not been posted publicly. The Manga Arts Patreon, patreon.com slash Manga Arts. But also, you can also pay attention to on MangaArts.com, like the other side podcasts I do related to the show, but separate, like uh, Manga Arts and Movies or Discuss Movies or Manga Arts on TV, especially we've been doing a lot of stuff uh, covering, uh, most specifically, even adult swim shows. We've gotten a lot of cool opportunities to cover certain series. So look forward to more episodes uh, of those coming out this summer, too. And if you enjoy the stuff I make, if you like the art I create in particular, if you like the illustrations, the thumbnails I create for our podcast and the animations and illustrations I create in general, you can find all that stuff on my Instagram at SidArtWorks. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find links to over my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, you can click on the podcast page and uh, check out basically anything I'm doing at the moment, as well as shows I'm not doing anymore, but I still want to link anyway. And even some guest spots I've done over the 10 years at this point that I've been podcasting, still wild to say out loud. Once again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com if you want to check out any of my other podcasting endeavors. But as for this podcast, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first. Unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mangamavericks, where at the $2 tier, you will have access to select episodes of the podcast before anyone else. If we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's supposed to go up on our main feed, we will put it up on our Patreon for patrons to listen to first. Admittedly, though, we don't do that as often as we would like. So really, if you want more reliable content, uh, you should sign up for our $5 tier, where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month guaranteed. Right now, our newest bonus podcast at the $5 tier is a review of the Knights of the Zodiac film, aka the Hollywood live-action Saint Seiya movie. Sakaki and I just happened to see it opening weekend, and we decided to sit down to talk about it in person, which was really fun. And Sakaki himself really hadn't interacted with Saint Seiya before watching this movie, so if you want to hear our thoughts on Knights of the Zodiac in particular, and listen to me try to explain to Sakaki what the hell Saint Seiya is, you'll definitely want to listen to that podcast. It was a lot of fun to record. And uh, just in general, when you sign up for our Patreon, you know, at the $5 tier in particular, you'll get all kinds of cool bonus podcasts, whether that be episodes of the Manga Marks Book Club, a side podcast where we talk about 
about manga that we've covered on the main Manga Mavericks podcast, but this time volume by volume. Right now we're covering JoJo's Bizarre Adventure with our good friend Grant. We've also done an entire read-through of the original Saint Seiya manga, that one being with my good friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime podcast. So basically what I'm saying is if you sign up for the $5 tier in particular, you will have access to so many great bonus podcasts that we've done over the past few years that we've had our Patreon. And really when you sign up for our Patreon in particular, you're really helping us with the show. Basically, whatever money we make on our Patreon goes back into the show in some way, shape, or form, whether that be helping to pay website and podcast hosting, getting materials for the show, any kind of emergency that happens to pop up and we need the extra money for it, all kinds of stuff. We really appreciate anyone who signs up for the Patreon. Your support really means the world to us. So once again, that's at patreon.com slash mavericks if you want to sign up and uh, please do so. We'd really appreciate it. But as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Once again, that's at youtube.com slash mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at mangabarracks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered on this episode, especially when it comes to Viz Manga, K Manga, any of the topics having to do with AI that we discussed on this episode? Are you reading any manga that you want to talk to us about or want us to read on the show, maybe? Uh, emails about manga or the podcast or really anything. We love getting emails from you guys because when you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. So go ahead and send those emails to us at mangabarracks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you can do this kind of thing. When you leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. All right, but that's going to about do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 230, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 231. Bye, guys. Sayonara!